day. Listen, I ain't going to forget about this by the time we get the motorway. Some might. And, and I'll tell you, honestly, I will love it if we beat them. Love it. Christmas. Hello and welcome to episode 314 of the Spitballing Pod. I'm Luke Byron, joined as always by Tom Kennett and Jack Harper. A slightly more sombre episode than we've had for the last few weeks, not only because Alex is unavailable, but also because England were eliminated from the World Cup did go back to uh, the classical Christmas introduction if you were a bit confused when uh, that started rolling. Felt like uh, the right kind of pick-me-up after the weekend that we've had. Yeah, it gave me a chuckle. I seem to be forever doomed to, when you ask me how I am on a Monday, just to just to answer <laughs> seen better days. <sighs> I didn't even ask. I knew the answer. I know. And here we are again. I've seen better days. Well, as if the universe was making up for last week, it's been a very chaotic last seven days, as you'll hear in the uh, news of the week shortly. Um, just in case anyone was concerned, I think TK saw the perils I was going through. Did unfortunately lose a bet to Alex last week. Um, <laughs> thought Sean was probably the worst person to lose a bet to. Um, but no, uh, Alex managed to top it by delaying me paying him the money. I've never known anything like it. Most people would take that and run. Exactly. I like two minutes after the event is finished, I want to put that money in your account. If I have a case bet with someone, I know what case I want before we've kicked off. <laughs> this dragged out until about four o'clock yesterday when, I mean, I don't know what he thought he was achieving by being smug and delaying the payment. Uh, but we got there in the end. Upsetting you? Maybe that's the achievement. Well, I said, you either tell me what you want now or you're not having it. And also, these are the terms. And uh, I mean, his final thing, I think, of thinking he was getting one up on me was me choosing what he has. So, (laughs) yeah, he he said he wanted a bottle of wine, which is the worst receipt of a case that I've ever, I don't even know if that's within the terms, to be honest with you. (laughs) That feels loose. I'd love to get. And I'd love to see him receive a box of blue nun from you. What? <laughs> Rub it in. I'd I sent that. Uh, you know those viral things that went. They're going back around again. Actually, I sent that uh, dirty panties prank <laughs> to his house years ago, and right. his mum. His mum picked it up. <laughs> um, yeah, he asked me to choose him a bottle of wine, despite the fact I don't drink wine. So look, whatever he gets his rocks off. The bet has been paid. Um, won't be doing business with him in future. So <laughs> he's ruled himself out of that. Anyway, just wanted people to know I'm a man that pays his debts like a Lannister. That's the only similarity there. Um, on to news of the week. Here we go. Whirling parasitic worms look like they're throwing a dance party in man's scrotum. 
I mean, is this Roy Keane describing Brazil still? Start as we mean to go on. <laughs> but I did enjoy uh, that there, but you, you shouldn't really joke after parasites in a man's scrotum, Jack. I think that's a bit uh, <laughs> off colour. Go a bit close to home for you, mate. <laughs> Follow me. Uh, <laughs> Company behind Death by Gummy Bears, Marijuana Edibles, accused of selling products 50 times more powerful than allowed. And if you're already called Death by Gummy Bears, that's pretty powerful. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know what gave them away. Um, Legendary San Diego sword swallower hospitalised with slashed abdominal cavity and pierced liver. I mean, sword swallower has a very different meaning over here, I think. (laughs) Why in in wherever you live, maybe. I see someone say they swallow swords, they swallow swords. Can end up in the hospital either way. Yep. Family distraught after man killed while talking to swarm of bees. <laughs> Rancher gives new life to afterbirth by creating art from cow placentas. Yeah, yeah, that's uh, a step too far for me. Never saw that on Art Attack, did you? (laughs) (laughs) Maker of TGI Friday's mozzarella sticks is sued for containing no mozzarella, just cheddar. I feel like, why would you sue them for that? I feel feel that's a better deal. Well, there's blame. There's a claim. Can you be be allergic to like just mozzarella, but not cheddar? No, I mean... Someone will claim to be, won't they? All cheese is just a loaf of milk. It just depends on how it's been aged. <laughs> Chinese woman coughs so hard after eating spicy food that she ended up with fractured ribs. That feels like one of those excuses that someone would bring into school. You're just like, what are you talking about? Shut up. Um, Maybe her and the sawdust swallow could get together. <laughs> <laughs> German police seek help in solving bull sperm heist. <laughs> Very different Ocean's Eleven, that. (laughs) (laughs) I told you uh, people had been going to town this week just to give us something to talk about on a Monday evening. Just to cheer us up. So there we go. While we're on that note, let me just do some housekeeping. If you want to keep an eye on your feeds over Christmas, check an eye, keep an eye, or check your feeds. This Thursday evening where you will see Home Alone 2 versus Elf, the movie Madness Christmas special. Keep an eye on your feed next Monday evening where we'll be recapping the entire World Cup and it'll be the Spitballing Pod Christmas special. Keep an eye on your feed next Tuesday where it'll be the 3MP Christmas special and somewhere within Christmas and the new year there will be the annual Protect Your Neck podcast. So keep an eye out for that too. Follow us on TikTok at Spitballing Pod. Run those numbers up. If you uh, follow us anyway, you'll have seen many different segments of the Bad Santa interview I did with Keenan. You'll have seen the interview with Jeremiah Chechik that I did with Jack about National Lampoon's Christmas, the interview I did with TK, with Todd Strauss-Schultzen about Harold and Kumar Christmas. Did have a Home Alone interview, but the guy has been arrested on rape and kidnap charges, so felt a good idea not to share that interview again. Um, (laughs) And there's plenty else if you want to go and have a look on our TikTok, YouTube, Spotify, all of that business. So I missed that. Which guy was that? Uh, the guy that played Buzz in Home Alone. Brilliant. Carl Walker got the memo about Kylian Mbappe, but unfortunately, 
these English centre-halves did not get the one about Olivier Giroud. This was a game full of talking points. We'll now do our best to pick them apart from some admittedly hazy memories, I would say. I'm not sure any of us have subjected ourselves to much more than the bite-sized highlights again. If someone's gone back and watched the whole game, you can host this now. You can take over. <laughs> You're a trooper. Jackie, I'm assuming you've not done that. Um, No. Okay. No, apart you sounded like you were thinking about it. Yeah, yeah. Apart, I mean, I've replayed it so many times in my head, I feel like I've watched it twice. Um, but no, I haven't watched the highlights. Okay, there are plenty of moments. So if it sounds like we've missed, I was going to say your favourite part of the match, but uh, if you think we've missed something, hopefully it'll be covered in one way or another. We'll talk about the game itself. We will talk about Southgate and the squad and the tournament they've had upon reflection. We will talk about the future of Gareth Southgate, which potential players could come into the squad for the 2026 World Cup and then uh, anything else that needs to be covered that hasn't been. So if we start with the foul or no foul on Saka and Chiuameni's goal, Jack, you weren't in the vicinity of us. TK actually has a large piece of blame to uh, shoulder for the Chiuameni goal. Why is this? <laughs> well, what's he done? <laughs> he's got the ball 25-ish yards out and he out loud says something along the lines of you can give him the ball, he ain't scoring from there. <laughs> oh no. And as the word there left his mouth, um, Jordan Pickford, those T-Rex arms, um, <laughs> They just couldn't reach it, and we all had to turn to him and say, "What the hell have you done that for?" I was, I was ready to be lynched. Honestly, I thought I would say I get sixty percent credit or blame for that goal, whichever side it stands on. Forty percent goes to Chiuameni. Well, I, I guess Pickford probably actually has to take more of it than him. But I'll ask you about that in a moment. Yeah, but uh, yeah, not my finest moment. If that had been the game-winning goal, I probably <laughs> aren't. I'm probably not on this pod. <laughs> well. Uf Meccano, a name that we'll say plenty more times throughout the next hour or so. He wins the ball off Bakayo Saka, fairly or unfairly, depending on uh, your take here. Just outside his own area, so a lot does happen in that meantime. Um, sets of a break. Chiuameni puts it in the back of the net, 17 minutes in. So there was a VAR check for this tackle. The understanding I now have, the VAR, Nicholas Gallo of Colombia, has two things essentially to consider. Is the challenge within the attacking phase and was it a clear and obvious error by the referee who we'll speak about in greater detail, I'm sure. The challenge comes 27 seconds before Tuomeni puts it in the back of the net. And what I read was, while time is not the ultimate factor in determining the start of the attacking phase of play, it does have an influence in the decision. I guess an example would be in trying to draw any kind of pattern with officiating. The one I was pulling my hair out for several months back when Odegaard committed a similar type of foul on Ericsson, it was, wasn't it? Mm. Two passes later, the ball is with Martinelli, who puts it in the back of the net. Yeah. This time there is a significant 
phase of play, as I've just said, that goes on in the meantime. And that does come into the decision-making. They say it's more about the team that lost possession being in a position to win the ball back and also if the attacking team stopped its forward momentum. Now, you could definitely argue that part, that we lost momentum by being fouled. The team does then have to do better once we have lost the ball to get into shape and to ensure that he isn't given the time and space that he has to put it in the back of the net. Yeah, I think I think both can be true there. I think... I'm not so much... Not, I knew that VAR was never going to overturn no. when it was going to... When it, when it went to the review because of how far back it was. You've just got to trust the referee to make the right decision. In and the if we're talking moment. consistency, we we don't really want them going that far back. We do just want them yeah, making the right I, decision. Although TK had one like that against Man City, so maybe... Yeah, I, I, I looked at it and as distressed as I was when it went in and... I was still screaming for the foul. <laughs> yeah. Like I, I had my arms in the air screaming foul for for all of those 30 seconds, five second intervals, just foul, foul. And it was, and you've got to trust the referee to make the right decision in the moment. Now that is as blatant as a foul as you're ever going to see. Like it's not a 50, 50 shoulder barge where you can argue either way. He's clipped his legs and taken them out which is just such a foul. And it's right in front of the lino. So what, I, I don't know if the lino's thought, I don't know, so I'm not putting my flag up. I'm going to wait for VAR to come back to it. But then it went into this kind of twilight realm of 10 seconds longer than it should have been. So VAR wasn't needed or, or whatever. But the lino should be flagging for it and the ref should be getting it right in the first instance. Anything after that, for me, is all, it's all up in the air. It's whether VAR decides to give it or not. I'm not too fucked up with VAR. It's a blatant foul, but it all came down to the amount of time that elapsed, I feel. We were looking at it at the time, TK, and I went straight to Twitter to see it again because they hadn't shown it for a while. And then when they did show it properly on the feed, you can argue there's about three fouls in there rather than just the one. He comes from behind him. He then comes around the side of him. And then there's a he, he almost pulls his leg away. Is yeah. the final is the final foul that makes him go down, and so it's not even one particular one you're looking at. It's, it's pick one of three, but right at the start of the game, the ball went out left, and it didn't do that much in the first half. But Phil Foden, there was a challenge that seemed as obvious a foul as you would see, and that must have been about three minutes in that wasn't given, and so we kind of knew early on what kind of referee and performance we were going to be dealing with. He was guessing, wasn't he? Let's face it, he was guessing. Like you said, you you won't get many more clear than the Saka one. And on the small chance that the ref can't see it, as Jack's just said, the liner's right there. I mean, they're redundant with the automated offsides, whatever you've got now, that there's an increasingly a feeling of these fouls are one of the only <laughs> things you're going to be doing in the game. So you may as well get the flag out. Ridiculous. And, and that is why I did think you have a case for that being pulled back because I know what you mean that I am reluctant to normally pull the fouls back on this. Um, and we've seen it a fair few where sometimes they have, sometimes they haven't. I think when there's sort of a 50 50 challenge where it could be a foul or you could see how it's not, I see, I don't think there's a way that you can pull it back. In this one where it's so blatant like that, obviously the question about it stopping our momentum, quite obviously. And I do think for all we should have defended it better. It's probably the only time in that half that Carl Walker's got forward and it's left us exposed. 
at a time when we wouldn't have been exposed if he actually correctly gives the foul. So I think we've yeah. got just grounds to uh, feel a bit pissed off, particularly with obviously yeah. what happens later on in the game. And I say I don't particularly like blame referees, but that gets us off to a start that is just, I think it sets a tone for us. I think you're, to- I think you're totally 100% right when, in what you say. I think like 13 minutes in against the reigning world champions, you don't want to be 1-0 down. You don't want to be chasing the game. That foul gets given, we get back into shape, we move on, and that is mm, that, that exactly. it's just part it's just part of the game. And it will make I know we're gonna cover the other events in the game yeah. later, but Well I'll ask that, you that, I'll ask you first. We're we're gonna speak about the rest of the tournament in greater detail on next week's podcast, but there was such a fuss about the referee in the Argentina Holland game and the amount of cards that were dished out and all of these things. <laughs> Do you think there was anything, do you think there was any directive from FIFA? Do you think there was any directive internally as a referee that you needed to let more go in this game? Because I was uh, reading some reports from Brazilian media and this referee, if anything, has a reputation for being quick with a whistle to his mouth, getting his cards out. So it's the complete opposite of what we ended up seeing on Saturday evening. I I think, I mean, I follow Tim Vickery quite a lot because I, I like a lot of what he has to say. Yeah, I thought he was pretty spot on with this as well. He, yeah, his, exactly that. His kind of synopsis of this was he just, because he because he blows for everything, everything in Brazil is a foul. He got confused as to what a foul actually is and thought he just went completely the wrong way with it. And I think there's letting a game flow and then there's getting big decisions completely and utterly wrong. Like, Letting the game flow is not is not penalising a shoulder barge in the middle of the park to let the game exactly do that and flow. Not the hack of a legs <laughs> in, in in like the forward right wing position, leaving the whole team completely exposed. That's that's not letting the that's just wrong. That's bad officiating. Like I think you're probably right in the sense that people were calling for that referee's head. Um, the day before in the Argentina, he's been sent home. By the way, well, this referee is going to I be mean, doing one of the semi-finals. Yeah, th- three refs have been sent home, and the Brazilian ref isn't one of them. That's which I bold. Find, I, I find that astounding. Um, I think I don't think the the ref got in the Argentina Holland game. I don't think he was that bad. Um, he was, I, don't, I don't think he was great. He he lost he, control of the game. Did he ever was, have it? Was the issue. <laughs> Well, I think I think for a while he it was makes- he was trying to do what we're talking about here, and then there's that point where you give that one yellow card, and then you've just played yourself at that point. And then once the ball's gone into the bench, I think he was like, "I need to try and get a grip of it here," and he just had yeah. no chance. Yeah, against a, like one of the worst teams to lose the game, <laughs> the kind of authority figure in that match, you don't want to be doing it with Argentina involved because. Their fans and their players just whip up some sort of firework, don't they? I thought the the framing of this was very interesting because if you went back and say we got to the final in 2018, and I do think things would have probably ended similarly like they did for Croatia. But if you were saying that a team needed to be physical with the other, if a team needed to play this kind of way, rough the other one up, you would probably say when you look at our league, when you look at the the way we kind of, we're kind of branded, it would suit us to have that kind of game more than France. And so maybe it shows 
the technical level that we have, not to detract from the technical level that we have, more that it's just at a closer standing. But that wasn't something that was in our best interest. When I think yeah. a couple of years back, you'd have said, give us that all day long. Let's get pushed them around. We got big Harry Maguire. I think you're, I, I was funny enough just thinking about the same thing where for the first time in our history, this is the one time we didn't want a re- game ref that in that manner. So it, we didn't have the players to lend itself to that it, for the first time in, if it's for, as long as I can really remember. Um, we'll we'll and, look at, sorry. No, and it just, and that's the way the cookie crumbled on the day. And it yeah. was to our detriment. It's just very, very on brand for our fortunes as a nation when it comes to football. So with the foul removed, um, it is a very nice goal. Too many, he shakes off a tackle from Declan Rice and then he has the freedom and the distance to be able to put this in the back of the net. Any criticism for Declan Rice in this instance, for Jordan Pickford in this instance, Ben Foster one of the few things that he doesn't just do is kind of lad bantery shtick. <laughs> Him actually breaking down whether it's a mistake from a goalkeeper in a lot of instances has been very good. And I think that could be what eventually does earn him a punditry job that's ultimately going to come his way. He was explaining why he thinks this was a mistake from Jordan Pickford. He says that one of the things he's been critical about with him previously is his footwork and that he isn't fast enough to get himself into position. And so it's not a case of him just having the arms of a T-Rex, but it's just not being set properly. He said a lot of the media reporting, well, you know, it goes through Jude Bellingham's legs. He said at that distance as a goalkeeper, that's making absolutely no difference to you. Yeah, it's going to say. 25 yards it going through his legs, that's making no difference. He said it's, it's a very nice strike, but there's nothing like the curl of the ball isn't something that surprised Pickford. There's nothing in that instance that surprised him. It's just a case of, it being a good strike and him not being set properly to uh, push himself off and get to the ball. Yeah, I, from from looking at it in the replay, I looked at it. The, the first thing that you look at is the, like a miniature D. Imagine a miniature D from joining each post inside the six-yard box of a keeper's range of movement, sidestep-wise. Now, when Germany actually receives the ball, Pickford is far too close to his near side post. He's leaving a lot of goal to aim at. And then what that creates is then a hurried scramble to try and get yourself into position to be set to then make the actions, make the save. And here, he's got it completely wrong. So he's scrambling, you can see, so his weight's not distributed properly onto his legs. And when he does make the dive, you can see that he times the dive right, but he's not in the right position to save the ball, so it goes through him. And no matter, and like Ben Foster said, if you're shooting from 30 yards and it's not going in off the post, it's the keeper's fault. If he's pretty much, if it's, it's a savable height as well. It's low, but it's a good height for when a keeper dives. And it's hit well, but it's not hit like, oh my God, he's caught that. Yeah. So I think it's Pickford, Pickford, Pickford's error here. It's all of it. All of it's wrong. The save's poor. The positioning is poor and the execution is poor. I think it's one of the only times that I can genuinely say that he's made a mistake in England shirts will probably give him some sort of leeway, I would say I would, but that yeah, it's you expect him to save that. 
And should the move have been breaking, broken down earlier? Do the players not get out to chew many quick enough? Or on that, that side of it, is it a case of... I think the whole team failed. I think you're right. It, it's, yes, we lost the ball. That it, it was a poor decision, whatever. You need to back yourself to be able to set, set yourself up to kind of counteract it. We They just cut through us. They got from one end of the pitch to the other way too easily. And Declan Rice, I think, has to shoulder a little bit of blame here because if you're committing to bringing a player down you have to bring him down it's yeah. either either one yeah. in, to, to go to ground and take yourself completely out of the game is a low blocking midfielder at that point it's poor it's really poor and I think that when I talk when I look at Declan Rice and I hear the price tag of 100 million pounds being banded around we're going to reflect on his tournament in a little bit I I, th- I think that's what stands him differently. And any other top-rated midfielder knows that he has to take the man there and take a yellow card and just walk that tightrope for the rest of the game. That's the margins when it comes to, to games like this. When you're offering up opportunities, doesn't matter if it's thirty or twenty-five yards out to this caliber of players, that can be the difference, which ultimately it was. So, in games like that, in Champions League semis, finals, etc., you can't be half-arsing it you have to do one or the other and that's the difference at the moment I feel um it did seem to take us say 10-15 minutes to really understand the balance of respecting Mbappe but not committing the entire team to stopping him and it may have just been an instance of that early on because I think there's a moment where Mbappe passes the ball off and he goes he peels himself back out wide and the team collectively seemed to think the danger's passed and that clearly isn't the case. Now, I think the sentiment from TK was right. I was thinking what he said out loud. Maybe we're being disrespectful, but I don't think most of the team thought there was a true danger in many having it from that position, at least when you compare it to the other people that the ball could be at their feet. And it's just a case of switching off, I guess, and thinking the danger's passed when... You need to realise at this level, as you said, Jack, everyone, everyone there is dangerous. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's it. Like While I was the only idiot who said out loud, I'm sure <laughs> most people were probably thinking, well, if the holding midfielders hit him off from 25 yards, we'll take that against this France team with the attacking talent they've got. Unfortunately for us, it seems like our keeper also had the same sort of thoughts as us. and was <laughs> just slightly switched up. And that's the difference between like a very good keeper like Pitford and the top keepers. So you think that probably doesn't happen because if he does save I still think it's a good save it's not like mm. it's not but you know would Alisson get beat by that most of the well, time probably not I, I think this when we talk about top keepers and playing for England in Jordan and you, everyone's right in saying that Jordan Pickford hasn't let us down as England keeper the difference between an Everton keeper where you'll be in pepper with shots every five minutes mm. versus say a top four top six keeper where you will go long periods within the game where you will not do anything. That concentration, you, isn't it? Yeah, you won't even see the ball. But then you'll get, I know, John McGinn or someone in midfield striking one out of nowhere and it's up to you to make sure that doesn't go in the back of the net. Now, I know that Pickford's going to be on his game here because it's the game that it is. But I feel that's the difference between a regular top, top-level keeper where... They know that that danger is not passing. It only takes one shot to really put you on the back foot mm. and, and to go in. Whereas Pickford sometimes, could, I, I feel like 
if it's not rammed down his throat, he's sometimes away with the fairies a little bit. We've seen his concentration lapse. It's been a regular kind of um, negative point of his, sometimes his distribution because of that as well, where he hasn't touched, touched the ball or whatever. I feel that you stick a top six keeper in that goal at that point and that ball doesn't hit the back of the net. But that doesn't then excuse the rest of the team for thinking exactly the same way. No, um, Jack, an, in, an incident that you all have been familiar with and perhaps this is disrespectful to compare the two, but you quite frequently would see uh, Rudiger take a shot from that kind of range and you get the classic thing from the commentator, don't you? Well, I think they'll be quite happy to see him taking shots from there. And that's essentially what we thought this instance was. Um, yeah, unfortunately, um, it wasn't. Yeah, I mean, I've watched Rudiger take that same <laughs> shot every game for the last two years. And then it finally went in against Brentford. And then he goes, oh, he, we know he's got it in his locker. It's like, we fucking don't because he's missed the last 40 ones he's tried. But we just seem to be the Brentford in that situation. Well, let's move on because there was another contentious decision very shortly after. Um, eight minutes later, Harry Kane links up with Bukayo Saka and he goes down on the edge of the area after Robin Upamecano of the ball. The referee waved play on, but there was a very lengthy VAR review. It, from what we'd seen of the referee already in the game, it never felt like this was going to be given. But you're also, with each instance of seeing the uh, foul, you thought there's no way this can't be. Um, it, I feel quite comfortable in saying it was a definite foul by Meccano. He mm. catches Kane on the back of his calf just as he enters the area. Now, the ruling and the explanation given by VAR, they say they can only rule on the penalty and not a missed free kick, which we understand. So if the foul takes place on the line or in the area, it's a penalty. If it takes place outside the area of play, then it continues from the point it was stopped. Now, this was on VAR then to say they had the weight of evidence to prove where the foul contact took place. They compared it to Japan's winning goal against Spain where they say they'll take the moment of contact which causes the foul. Where is that part of Kane's leg in relation to the line? And we know the line belongs to the box. So Kane falling into the area, having a foot inside it when contact is made isn't relevant, is where the contact is. They say they had every available angle and there are far more than we are shown on television. I don't know why we don't get to see those. (laughs) to try and work out where the contact was using multiple synced cameras to the same frame. Um, The angles shown on TV weren't conclusive and they say the angles shown in the studio weren't conclusive either and so they didn't have enough evidence to be able to overturn the decision. That feels like a lot of of nonsense to me. Again, what it boils down to here is the fucking ref got it wrong. (laughs) So... What it would have been if it was given, that's not being overturned. Because the ref didn't give it as a free kick either. So it's not that the referee was going, that, you know what? I can't give a free yeah. kick either. I can only give a penalty. Exactly that. The fact that it wasn't even given as a foul is the issue here. That's that's the main poster. That's the the way, it, like I said, what it boils down to. If that was given as a foul, it, then they could have then made up their minds afterwards, whether it was inside or outside the area then it becomes a different issue and then I'll take whatever it gets. But right now that feels like a penalty that wasn't given, it should have been. Upa Meccano was a strange one, TK, because I think we 
referenced after Arsenal played Liverpool. Sorry to bring that one back up. But, no, you're not. And, well, not too much. <laughs> but the week before, I made the comment and joke that, look, Martinelli on Trent, essentially that it was as simple as that. Now, for all the comments we made of Upamecano, I wasn't necessarily sure it was going to be as simple as this guy could be the life and death for them and we need to get at him. Now, the first half showed that essentially every time we got at him, the guy looked like what we thought he was. Thank God we didn't pay the money for him. He would have had all the hallmarks of a £60 million Chelsea transfer, so it's a damn shame that didn't happen. <laughs> but the the bloke just looked so, so clumsy. And yeah, if we get a different official in the first half, he costs his side a breakaway and and a penalty. The, I think... Sorry. I, I, sorry, mate. Sorry to jump in, but I think you're completely right. I think if we have any other ref that's been at this tournament in that game, it could be completely different. I couldn't believe how rash he was. Even, yeah. no, I, don't, I never thought he was a great defender, but I couldn't believe how sort of rash and ragged he was. He's got some level of experience at the club and international level now, and he just... It looked like it was his first game. And Hernandez to an extent. Yeah. Well, you can picture, can't you? Usually, if you've got Harry Maguire in that situation and we we put him in there as the guy who is probably the most scrutinised centre-back I can remember seeing Mm. in the last five years. And if he does that, it's broken down as simple as you can't win the ball there. Like, Yeah, yeah, exactly. Like we're, We're told that. I played for statistically one of the worst Sunday league teams <laughs> you would ever have seen. We'd have been grilled if we were trying to tackle someone like that. <laughs> it's 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 just basics. It's, you're playing against someone in Kane. I was about to say, you'd have to look at Kane as well and go, right, I can't make any sort of slip up here because if it's even slight contact, he'll go down and he'll probably even, win it. Even just with Kane's frame, like you can't get around him. And Saka isn't a big guy, but he's strong on the ball, I guess, until he isn't. But he's not someone that's going to allow you to squirm around him and poke that clear. And so in both those instances, it's just a case of just being greedy because with Saka, he could have stood up for an extra second longer. At the very least, you slow him down or you send him down an alleyway. With Kane, you've got to trust your goalkeeper in that instance, who's shown about three minutes before when Saka's played the one into him, that he can come out and he can smother him. And Lloris had a good game. It's, uh, I don't know. It wasn't a settled defence before the tournament started and they seemed to show that as the tournament went on. And I'd be surprised if he starts the next one. I think... Saliba clearly isn't fancied by Deschamps too much at this stage. Canate's played minutes earlier in the tournament. I don't see how you look at Upamecano and you look at Canate and say, that's the one I want in my team and that's the guy I want warming the bench. No, but then it, look, we would have said that from the jump probably, wouldn't we? So it's a, is he going to stick with him now? Because that's his guy. It appears like he's made the point that he will. Yeah. Um, yeah. Whichever one you want to put in, Canate and Saliba, should be going in ahead of that guy. Yeah. And then we go in at half time. We're downbeat at the fact we're losing, but at the same time, I think probably about five minutes after the goal went in, we kind of looked around and said, we're actually not playing that bad. <laughs> we're actually like, we're, we're playing decent enough football. 
there just seem to be handbrake is what we hear so much in football these days, but whether it was belief, whether it was uh, discipline and to the point where they were told these are your zones and you don't want to be the guy that's responsible for someone bursting into your area as you'd seen earlier in the game. But we don't make any changes at halftime. We come out and we play with the same impetus that we were hoping to and that we started the game with. And the key difference really was that we got the left-hand side involved. Hmm. Phil Foden, we saw, as I mentioned early on, he gets fouled. And I think the only other time we saw him in the first half was when he cut inside to a kind of number 10 position, despite the fact we weren't playing one. Because I think I remarked and asked if him and Saka had switched sides. And then you notice they were actually right next to each other. Foden had just come that far inside to try and get the ball. And the control that he showed a couple of times to kind of wriggle free out of a tight situation showed, and this will be a larger discussion later, that that, that this guy can play in a central area just because he doesn't do it at Man City. Yeah, and he kept doing it more and more it went on. So, you know, it did serve as a potential sort of lesson to us that that could this this work? Um, In this game, you'd have been interested as well to see someone a more traditional wing again at Kunde a little bit more as well, I think, potentially, when you look back on it now, um, which would have, again, would have served the argument that maybe bring Foden inside someone and get someone else like Rashford, say, out on the left a bit more. At halftime, I think the change we were looking towards was you need to take either Rice or Henderson off, you bring on Rashford and you put Foden central. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that's a substitution that we could argue could have been made later on in the game once we get things level. But Saka really came to life in the second half. Um, I don't know if there was a conversation at halftime or something. He just looked like someone had opened his eyes and told him, you have Hernandez on toast. Yeah, yeah. And we know from what leaked pre-game and we know what leaked from seeing the game, the idea was we could double up down that left-hand side, Walker's going to keep the space for Mbappe to run into and we're going to target our attacks down that right-hand side in the space that he leaves. Now, I don't think he's as defensively unaware as was made out pre-game. He doesn't trap back like even Neymar, for example, in that PSG team. But that was clearly the option. We go down the right-hand side, we exploit it there, and then we try and play inside. Um, And I think just offering a couple of other things to do because as much as it seemed obvious for us, it may have seemed obvious for them. They had Ravio tucking across into that space and it was almost like we were playing against kind of a full side on that rather than there being a huge gap. Walker gets the balance right come the start of the second half and Saka cuts inside. He actually has one. He plays it across and Kane isn't central and he doesn't beat the first man, I think, for a warning sign just before. And then he gets it, doesn't he? He does that little step, cut inside, and Many, the hero for the first goal, takes him down and Kane has a penalty. A lot of the Dembele-Saka debates were had pre-game. I still think Dembele is a far more aesthetically pleasing dribbler and I think we saw that at times but Saka did show in this game that he's equally if not more effective when he hits you with that hezzy and cuts inside you are powerless 
and we've seen a few times where he's been one one on one. His pace isn't quite exceptional in the same way that say Rashford would be when he's charging. I think there was a game in the England Germany game, wasn't there, where Saka has a one on one, and he just doesn't have that burst of pace to get himself clear or the authority in finishing it off. But when he does that stop start, there's very few defenders that can deal with it, let alone a midfielder that's flat footed <clears> like that. It's just more like belief and, uh, than, is Kane. Yeah. Rather than anything. I think he's got the pace. I think he's just believing in himself and doing it over and over. Um, it's probably more. I think he reminds me a little bit of Eden Hazard, where he used to do the stop start to most defenders. And they probably expect it, but it was just so effective. They could still re- not really do much. Because he can, Saka can use both feet pretty well when dribbling you genuinely don't know which way he's going to go. And that low centre of gravity is just, he's such an effective weapon. It's incredible. And I think we've been crying out for an England player to be able to have the ability to be able to take on defenders. And now it looks like we've got both Saka and Foden that can do it, which is going to be interesting for the future. There was a tweet from a journalist, I believe worked for Lekeep, and they said that Saka's performance in this game was the most scared and the most threatening they felt since Eden Hazard when France played Belgium in 2018. So nice pickup from you. Yeah, like that. Well, and it did seem what... like they'd been aware of this even pre-game as well. In the way they were marking Saka, they weren't yeah. being trying to be extra physical with him. It wasn't a coincidence, I don't think. I think they had earmarked him as a threat. Uh, and it seemed like the way it played out. As I was saying with you the first time, I'd like to have seen him just a couple of times go down the outside a few more times. Because yeah. you are right, when he does come inside, obviously such a threat and he can get the fouls or he can get a shot off. Just a couple more times, just to threaten it. Because I've seen him obviously do it for Arsenal as well. He can yeah. come to go down both ways. That's a, that's the only thing with when he's cooking that uh, Dembele can do probably better than anyone just because he is genuinely just two-footed you're watching yeah. I don't know yeah. which yeah. which but that's yeah. a pretty unique advantage that very few people are ever going to have I think the best way to utilise it is <clears throat> early on in the game go down the outside because then defenders really have no idea yeah like, even if we know a left-footed player more often than not is going to want to come inside just threatening to go down the outside just once early on just to uh, give just to scare them a little bit because let's face it Hernandez looked rattled anyway let alone if he'd done that a little bit more and things were a lot more obvious by the fact that Walker wasn't doubling up with him. Yeah. One of, one of the I mean, things we point to that, sorry. When uh, when Henderson ended up sort of going over and overlapping with Saka, some of our best stuff came from that early on, yeah. I felt. And that was, uh, yeah, probably because Walker was so worried, I can't be doing this with uh, Mbappe going the other way. Well, I remember, again, in that Liverpool-Arsenal game where I was commenting that Henderson is not the guy that Trent needed doubling up alongside him. And I believe you said at the time, that was more of a one-off in that Henderson can actually be very supporting down that side, be it going forward or going the other way. Mm. And that did just make such a difference. Henderson even just being a man there available to link up. Because the whole inverted winger thing only works if you do that have someone down the outside. And I don't think Saka's right foot would be as bad as he perhaps thinks it is. Is probably just whether it was uh, penalties or penalties, but we're going to get onto that. There felt like such a thing from the England players of, I don't want to be the one that makes a mistake. Mm. And if particularly making a mistake when so much has been made of, this is the side killing Mbappe's down. 
I, I do wonder how much of a difference that made because nothing really changed other than belief, as we've said. And then he got down that side and we were cooking. Mm. Kane steps up. He does that horrible thing where he readjusted the ball. <laughs> we right were all worried at that point. <laughs> oh. And then he sends Larice the wrong way. Um, he calls Wayne Rooney's all-time record with his 53rd international goal. And it was all downhill from there, really. <laughs> <laughs> this is the part I've been dreading. This- yeah, a couple of chances... Yeah. Um, Harry Maguire has a chance in the 70th minute from a free kick where I don't know how much better he can do with that, to be fair. He gets the right contact. It's just outside of the post. Um, Then France spurn a chance of their own seven minutes later. Giroud's volley is turned away by Pickford and we clearly don't learn our lesson because Griezmann, who we can speak about, who had a very good game, puts in a cross that the defence should deal with better, but it's a very good cross. Giroud's between the two centre-backs, which is never good. But this isn't even one where you can say they nearly got there first. Like, it's a great cross, but both of them do really have to do better. Yeah. Very much on their heels, aren't they? Waiting for something to happen. And Giroud, he's the opposite of that. He knows... There's the uh, video that's been uh, uploaded to Twitter that's a fan filming in the stadium. And you can see Giroud start and readjust his run three or four times before the ball even comes in. And they have no clue that he's anywhere in between them. And then with Giroud, it, that's either going to be the best header you've ever seen or it's going out of the stadium. And unfortunately... <laughs> It was one of those days for him. He was on it. And I think the pressure is something he needs. You you can't have him thinking that he's got seven, eight, nine chances more in the game. He had one chance or two chances, scores one of them in the space of five minutes and then we're chasing again. Yeah, it was a gut punch, wasn't it? Psychologically, yeah. it was a tough one to take. And I don't know what Jack was thinking at that point. I didn't even really think there was a chance of us getting back in the game, to be honest. It felt like we'd done so much work to get back there. I I, I genuinely felt as if nothing had really changed. I feel like, I felt that we were on top. I thought we were playing some really, really decent football. I thought maybe we needed to kind of refresh the right-hand side of midfield and get someone new one to try like you said with the game plan of definitely kind of keeping Carl Walker back try and get some more legs down the right hand side because I thought that was where the opportunity was coming from and I thought we were getting chances but we were just being sucker punched by France twice and I just I felt that one more the momentum was with us it almost feels like we were unjustly behind and that fire within us would have carried us on even further I also also backed the fact that if we had got ourselves another goal, then we probably had the legs on them because of how little subs they have and how many injuries they, they have. They had so, their moments and they took them. And first yeah, one, great goal. Didn't. Second one, beautiful cross into the box. The 
at 1-1, it really felt like it was a game that we could push on in and we could take control because the weakest part all game was the midfield. The midfield, for, for no stretch, really longer than about 10 minutes, felt like they were in control of that game. Even at France's weakest, mm. Rabiot and Stuermeni had the beating of our midfield. And we were calling, okay, sacrifice one of Rice and Henderson now. Get Rashford or someone like that on. And I saw Jamie Carragher breaking it down and it was a great point he made that he said, as a coach, it's easier to make a substitution when the team is underperforming. If your team is on top, the concern is that a change will upset the flow. Hmm. And we took so long that by the time we have any changes ready to be made, France has scored. And then you're bringing him on and you're asking a completely different thing of them. Hmm. It's not a simple, they weren't there for the taking. This wasn't a game where we're pummeling them and pummeling them and then it's a real sucker punch at the other end. But I don't think for most of us that weren't being blindly pessimistic, I don't think we were confident that after 70 minutes we'd be looking saying, get one of our midfield boys off because we're we're coming for your neck. And I think that if that feeling's with us at home, the feeling in the stadium has to be even greater than that, and we don't do it. I think if we're if we're playing anyone else, that's the move. We I'm make. not sure it is though with him. Yeah, that's the question. But, uh, with 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 this tournament, I've genuinely been surprised that I know. Yeah, you can say that we've only played these teams or whatever, but is. His willingness to actually go out and no, attack. No, let's not let's not go too far back. Let's go to the USA game. We're chasing a goal and we bring on Henderson for Mount. Yeah, but now we understand why. But that wasn't that. going to to get to seize the game. No. That was no. It it is to control the midfield. That was I think that's why. Yeah, so I don't think we can credit him with being. A, this was some <clears> great <throat> attacking change he made. We can no, see the logic I'm, I'm, in I'm, it, but this wasn't bringing yeah, on not, I, Foden or Rashford or whatever. No, I agree. I, 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 yeah, it's probably not as forward thinking as I'd want it to be. But when it comes down to tournament football, I, I've been asked to just look back and just analyse it all and just look. He's played a pretty decent tournament football when you consider the games that some of the bigger teams have lost against these minnows and to play that brand of football of just looking to attack willfully and we looked a lot more tactically astute this tournament than than prior it just was unlucky that it didn't come off in our in our favor i feel like we looked naive in previous tournaments whereas here i feel like we looked like we made other teams look. there's a thing though where I, i don't think you can fault the game plan i actually think the game plan in this even if you break it down, was far more tactical than we would perhaps credit with international football with the plan for Mbappe mm. and sliding across and all of these little things that you can see broken down in far more detail than I could ever do. But there's a point at which you're getting yourself to a stage to then be there and win the game. And you'll see so often if you watch boxing frequently or MMA frequently and you'll hear a fight where you'll hear something like you have to get out of the first three rounds and then the game plan changes. You get yourself out of there and then you put yourself in a position where, right, now I go and take it. We've got ourselves here. We've seen the best of them and now we go out and do what we do. And it seems like we got out of those rounds and then we were quite happy that we got out of those rounds and let's see what happens here because I don't want to go and try and beat you because you might actually try and beat me. 
Yeah. And so I don't think they were negative changes. I just think they were too late. The decision to remove Saka was surprising. I thought that was a mistake. Um, yeah, did anyone have much conviction that Sterling was going to do something better, something that Saka wasn't able to do? I can't say I felt no. that way. Ian, Ian Wright said, you know, I've heard he, he might have had a knock. I'm going to I'm gonna say touch all the wood in the world here, which isn't the greatest uh, turn of phrase. <laughs> but I think you can look at Arteta and in the long run, this may be to his detriment. So far, running Saka into the ground hasn't hurt him. And he gets kicked and he gets booted all over the place for 90 minutes and he's taken far worse beatings than he has in this one. And he's been capable to keep playing the 90 minutes in a far more physically intense game than this one. Saka having a knock after 70 minutes is nothing new. And if he's not telling you he wants to come off, he's done it before where... He doesn't say he wants to come off in TK. You see sometimes, don't you, where a fighter won't say I quit, but they'll give you enough of an idea. That, yeah, yeah, they'll tell you. No, my answer. Do me a favor. Yeah, and Saka's done that before. I remember a game against Newcastle. He was in a really bad way, and I think he was out for say a fortnight after, which is quite long for him. And he would just he just kept going down, and I think he went down off the ball about three times. Mm. I don't know what they were doing to not take him off, but each time it was like. All right, you're not taking me off. And he'd get up and he'd carry on and then he'd do the same again. He was showing no sign of this here. I think it suits what you're trying to do if you say he had an injury and I don't doubt Saka would go along with that narrative if you asked him to. It just seems strange with 15 minutes left. You've got him cooking him down that side. He spoke so openly about the terrible preparation Sterling's had Yeah, yeah. before this one. No fault of his own, but he's spoken about that. And so even then you look, it's and, odd that he's the next man up as well. If you are saying, right, Saka's hurt, so I have to take him off, which I don't really buy, same as you, but if you do, no. weird that Sterling's the, the next guy up. And not since his, his Liverpool days. Have, have you looked at Sterling as as that guy? Like I look at Sterling and Rashford as, as very different wingers, and I don't doubt Sterling's legacy is going to be far greater than Rashford's. But mm. if I'm looking at someone that's going to come on and get at the man. I'm going to kill you with pace and power at this stage of the game. Sterling, especially for England, doesn't strike me as, as that guy at all. And then you you weigh in the preparation, you weigh in his season, you weigh in that Rashford is the joint top scorer in the team. It's not like you're not bringing him on on the right-hand side because you did it in the first two games. It's just a, it's just a baffling substitution. And we know he's got his guys, but... Not now, Gareth. <laughs> no. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. I, I probably disagree. I think Sterling is a little bit that guy, but Rashford is more that guy. And so if you're going to make that sub, that's the one I'd make. I, I would partly say about Southie, I do think our performance is good enough. I think we're, if we're all agreed that we were probably the better team overall, yeah, I think a relatively close game, but we were probably the better team. I don't think there's much to be said for going, oh, he should have changed it. Because I think we were generally on top. Um and then once the goal goes in at that time, obviously then you're going to go, well, you should change something. I actually thought until that point, until about five or 10 minutes before they get their second goal, I thought we were good. And then I think there were signs that they were starting to come back in. Obviously, the Giroud chance, that was not long before his goal, was a 
pretty good warning. It's about three minutes. Yeah, that's it. So there isn't even a, a big gap between it. So I think things were going well. And the thing Carrie said about that, sometimes if you make a change, it can worsen the team. I would rarely agree with that because normally I'm all, I would say, make changes, be proactive. And particularly with the CV that Southgate's got where he has been too reactive before he hasn't been proactive enough. But on this one, I wouldn't say I personally find him that guilty of it. I think it's just unfortunate timing when the goal does go in, it then leaves you with not a lot of time and you've got to get some subs on. One thing I did think was clear, if you were going to make the sub, I thought Henderson was probably flagging. And yeah. I thought you'd probably get him off to freshen it up. He would have taken that to mean bring Mason Mount on. I would probably never do that, but look, that's, that's different. Um, I would have probably at that point gone, Hendo off, put Rash on the left and let Foden come inside. I know it's not really Southgate's thing and people... 50-50 online, a lot of people will go, oh, he doesn't play that for his club. As we've said, look, he was showing enough signs that he could do it. And this is only, what, 10-15 minutes of a game? Even before yeah. they score, I would have been making the sub even around 70-75 minutes. And so it's not like you're asking him to play that for a long period of time either. The the introduction of Mount, though, looks almost inspired in almost immediately he runs in behind the ball from Jude Bellingham. It's a run that Henderson wasn't going to be making at this stage of the game. And he earns a penalty for England to level the score again and then try and go on and win it. It's No, he did do the things that, the good things that you would associate with Mount, he did do when he came on. So I've got to give him credit for fairness. No. I, I, I was looking at Mount coming on and as a Chelsea fan thinking, it, with the season that he's had so far, that's not the guy that I want to be seeing coming on. <clears throat> but that, but that, but then he came on and did everything that we knew that, like you said, that the amazing amount does that probably other players won't do. And I think the stats, like I think he won like six duels or something in the midfield in the ten minutes he was on the pitch, which is just in, insane, really. When he, you can he see gets it, this but... smash in the back that almost immediately you're like, hang on a minute. But I will say it's the kind of challenge you do often see go unpunished. So. On the one hand, it did look like a blatant foul, and on the other, I also I, didn't really expect much to happen after the ref and how he'd been the rest of the game. I, I, I would tend to agree, but I'd slightly challenge by saying that on first glance, everyone's like, hang on. And in yeah. the second glance, <laughs> yes. you're like, what the fuck? And then it's with more, the more glances that you have at it, the more solidified it becomes. And it, you're right in the saying that most of those kind of block offs you don't see given. That isn't most block-offs. For absolutely no reason whatsoever, he's decided to just put Mason Mount through a car crash and give him whiplash when the ball is nowhere <laughs> near it. Like, I, I don't think I've ever seen a, a challenge that was needed. I tell you, if one of our defenders had did that, we would have been going absolutely fucking spare at that time of the game. Yeah. I just could not... I could not believe that that he even did it in the first place. I just think that it's the, it was just so blatant. I think he'd been put in a blender for 45 minutes and sometimes, you know when you'll see a shot go in and the keeper dives and it's like you were never getting there, but they have to dive just to show that they were trying to do something. I think this was just Theo Hernandez trying to do something and TK, you so often talk about <laughs> the scale of just how blatant you can be and you can probably get up to say a three or four and the referee's going to let it slide. This was like a 14. <laughs> and that, that was the thing about each of these fouls that either were or weren't given. I found each time they were just so like blatant and there was no sort of disguise on them at all. 
And some decisions that we've bemoaned previously or at club level we sometimes do, I always say, well, I think there is some subjectivity to them where you can say, oh, look, I can see how you wouldn't give it or how you would give it. And as a result, as much as emotionally I might feel a certain way, I can see how you get a, arrive at a, de- a decision that is different to what I think. With these, you're like, there's no way. <laughs> just, I don't yeah. see there is any <laughs> yeah, subjectivity but- to them at all. And- yeah, totally, 100% agree. I've, all of these decisions, you saw in real time as well. It, was, it wasn't even like, oh, fair enough, he's, he's done something there. And they're blatant to the point where you can see it from the stands on the TV, from the aspect you're watching that, you're like, that's a <laughs> They each foul. have like what two or three on? fouls within them as well. And they touched on the one earlier, but on this, <clears> you've got like the arm over the shoulders and the like angular legs with some of them as well. Like, how are you getting both of these things? If you fuck up yeah. one of them, you think that's a defensive mistake. To do yeah. it both, you're like, what is this guy doing? I've... Like, I, I, I text, I think I text you guys saying, we're being on <laughs> road here. And it, I genuinely thought I only had one. I had to go we need this man's address. <laughs> but yeah, th- this guy's getting bullets in the mail and all sorts. But Not from you. I just can't. I just don't. I don't understand why I have to go through <laughs> this again. <laughs> what, what, what well, there was the, the moment in which we're celebrating that the penalty has been given. And then you look at the TV and you see Bellingham losing his mind. You're like, what can this be about? And you're like, hey. Yeah, give him a red card as well. We did the jersey see, off the bench. <laughs> yeah, I was just just about to say that. We all did it. We all sat back down on the sofa and was like, right, here we go. And then someone just whispers in your ear, that man. <laughs> and we're all back yeah. up in the middle of the room again, jumping, waving cards at the TV. I was no, so distrusting of the ref that I was yeah. like grateful that we got the penalty. I was like, let's yeah. not go asking for a card, that's because he'll probably somehow scratch off the penalty. I don't know how, but he'll do it. I, I I thought that was what was going on in the first place. I thought he'd yeah, yeah, because Bellingham looks so same. shocked. Really <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, I, I'm almost certain I know the answer here, but I'll ask the question anyway, just to, for the purpose of ticking it off. Is are there any, either of you that think someone other than Kane should have taken this penalty? No, Kane's taken two pens in a game before. He, he has now the meme He's that's being shared of this. Guardians, he did miss the first and scores the second. Because I saw people sharing the one against Liverpool where he came off and he says down the camera, doesn't he? You can't give me two tries or something like that. TK, you'll probably remember better. Um, I'm having a tough night here. Yeah. But, but yeah, it's, yeah, that's it. So it's kind of, it wasn't really a fair comp, was it? Because it's the total opposite. He scores the first and then fucks yeah. the second one. The, the, thing, the, the thing is as well, who else? Ex- exactly. Yeah, exactly. Saka's gone off. Like, like, <laughs> and and, it, and <laughs> When people were saying they're bringing Mason Mount on penalties, I was like, fuck me, have you seen his penalties? That's not the guy you want. Uh, it's, Harry Maguire legit might have been our second penalty taker. Is, I actually had this yeah, thought okay. earlier. Imagine the pressure on that man. <laughs> yeah, he... he to, to be honest, I have no... I've defended him a lot this tournament, mainly for the purpose of dunking on Eric Diet. I actually don't want him in that situation. That he does not need that. No, he doesn't. It was an interesting thing of like, in retrospect, should Kane have had the second one? I think, I do think Larice being his club mate played a big part in all this psychologically. I think it fucked him. Yeah. Um, so, but it, it is an, it's an interesting I, I think, argument, but of think, course, you're absolutely right. We we couldn't have put anyone else up to take, could we? I mean, 
it would it would look cowardly from Kane's part as much as anything, wouldn't it? And if they miss, then the conversation is, well, Kane's your best penalty taker. Yeah, yeah. That, yeah, yeah. One of those memes that always does the rounds was, you have one penalty to save your life. And I mean, the only thing that always stops me saying Kane is if he has any way of knowing the things I've said about him. Other than that, he's <laughs> he's as, as confident a pick as you can have if Ainsley Maitland-Niles isn't in the squad. And the only thing that would have played on my mind is that if he does score that and it does go to pens, that's three pens against a club mate, Louise, that you've got to then... My thinking was that when you looked at the first penalty, it didn't matter if Lloris went the right way. And so that was my hope for the second one. And I hoped that Kane would back himself to put it in the corner enough. Um, it's interesting. You can go back and there's an interview with Trippier and Pickford, I believe, from the start of the tournament. And they're talking about the ball. And Trippier says, this one flies. And when you look at the other penalties in this tournament, I don't know if there's something that they've all spoken about. There's very few penalties in game that you've seen be smashed or they've been smashed low, almost all of them. Yeah. So I don't know if it's something that they have the experience of within the camp. And I don't think we've seen many goals where someone's smashed it from range and it's been a pinger like that maybe it is just this football has a tendency to do that and couple that up with Kane it's I just poor technique this time around I can't there's so much going on I can't explain those Japanese penalties that in that shootout because those boys yeah. barely got off the floor yeah well that's what I mean maybe they were, they were just so shook <laughs> yeah Over- overcompensating I think you actually might be onto something because you're right all the ones that are saved well, I can't remember a penalty going into a top corner apart from Keane's first. So a couple of the Croatia boys knew what they were doing, but they also sent the keeper the wrong way as well. So it is easy if you look at yeah. it like that. Now, Kane got a lot of flack. I mean, I volleyed the thing closest to me, which happened to be an inflatable Dumbo, which nearly took Langston's head off. <laughs> and Kane very quickly turned to a Spurs player in that instant. And I don't think that was just for me. Um, Alex, I think, had the brunt of the eyes in the room because if you can't tell Kane, you can tell Alex what a piece of work this Spurs player is. Spursy, I think, was trending within seconds. It infected the camp, (laughs) didn't it? That that mentality infected the camp. And someone that he's not received quite the same amount of flack as Kane and he was walking a tightrope anyway... Sam Matterface in his commentary that you almost look around. Did I hear that properly? <laughs> and when he says England needed Gary Lineker, they got Chris Waddle. Chris Waddle was a decent He's going player, to Italian what, 90, he... isn't he? <laughs> what was he I thinking? Just, I, I just, <laughs> well, he's, I, he's been accused before, I hasn't think... he? Like he gets the partridge accusations and you've seen before, if you were to do the chalk and cheese with um, him and Peter Drury, if Drury does it he has it flowing nicely. Matterface feels like I've written these lyrics, these bars down, and I'm getting yeah. them in one way or another. I, I totally agree. I was watching the Euros um, highlights back, the ITV before the tournament, just to get myself in the mood of this what <laughs> could happen, boys. And there's a line before the Germany game where he talks about fastening your seatbelts and driving on to the motorway. And, and I'm just like, 
what the fuck am I listening to here? Like, <laughs> Whereas Drury, it feels He's, like, like this I'm, is literally just how you talk. These are just the first words that are coming to your yeah, head. And he said, all aboard the Marrakesh Express. And he still sounds like yeah, a poet. Yeah, 100%. And it just, it's so, it's so annoying. I think that it was perfectly summed up by saying that we needed Clive T- Tilsley and we got well, Sam Matterface. ITV I were getting flack anyway. They should turn down the rights for these games, is is what I'm reading, because they should shoulder their own uh, part of this responsibility. And yeah, whether fine. it's BT, whether it's ITV, we don't often need a second invitation to batter a commentator, let alone when you're losing and the commentator's talking shite. Because Peter Walton gets the brunt of this early on when they're looking back at their opener. And he says about Saka going down too easily while the pictures are showing him being like smashed in the back. They were just, uh, Kane was getting it anyway. And that Matterface had just stayed silent in that moment. Then Kane would have got everyone's anger. Instead, he opens his trap and he takes some of it off Kane's shoulders. Good guy, Sam <laughs> Matterface in disguise. Yeah, the Walton thing. Who. Who looks at this fucking fire and goes, let's throw some petrol in there. That's what we need. Yeah, it's, yeah, it's insane. Um, and the, uh, after that penalty miss, we don't really get a clear chance after that. I think it felt like the game had gone. We didn't that free kick at get... the end. That free kick. Yeah, I think we were hoping for the best there. It's yeah. a lot to ask for Rashford to whack that one in. Yeah. So unfortunately... France go on. We expect them to win the tournament from this point and uh, we'll see how they go. But it was another case of look, a brave a brave defeat. Just It wasn't quite like the Italy one where we scored and then said, whoa, 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 do not cross the halfway line again. Yeah, the, it was the same story, but in a totally different way, whereby it feels like such a huge opportunity missed. That felt like it was an opportunity missed because we take that early lead and then squander it by playing crap, really, and, and re- sort of reverting. In this, obviously, we're never in front, but it felt like we were the better team throughout, but couldn't get it done. It's just such a, I don't know, both ways, it feels like a huge opportunity squandered in our own respective ways. Now, if we can reflect on the squad, and then we'll talk about Southgate after, and we'll go through the names. Some obviously there's more to say about than others and just whether they lived up to expectations, exceeded them and and what we thought. So Pickford, we've covered his share of the opener here. I don't think we can complain too much, can we? Two conceded against Iran, one against France. Made some great saves and I think they're, they're never... He never allowed there to be a debate, did he, as to who the number one was going to be. And I do think they did a good job of making that quite clear before the tournament started because there was some debate a couple of months out. The, the thing with him is, is he's just a, a very good keeper. And so there's, there ends up being this slightly ridiculous thing where some people say he's just absolute garbage and other yeah. people to compensate for that say he's like unbelievable and he's just a very, very good keeper. Yeah, and as it is at the minute, that's enough to be number one. But he, give Ramsdale a bit more time. Arsenal, you could you could start to debate it. I think he's probably had to do something colossally wrong for England, though, to Agreed. get dropped. Agreed. Even while we were all 
very, very upset by the result. I did think for Pickford, telling the cameraman to have some respect while he's trying to film Kane crying. We've had a cameraman follow Ronaldo down the tunnel about two hours earlier, giving us HD quality images of the tears in his eyes. I think that's part and parcel. You go out of this, the cameraman wasn't right up in his face. You're filming him from range. Yeah, yeah. Kind of. What did you think was going to happen? Kane, you know, he's, a relative hasn't just died. Do you know what I mean? It's, no. He's just missed a penalty, which you're always going to have it. It was nice that he was protecting the teammate. I think it's the right idea, but I did just find it quite amusing to have a bit of respect. <laughs> it was just yeah. a, such an over-the-top line. Jude, Jude knew the PR you can get. Make sure the first one over to Kane when that penalty goes in. That man that is always... Over the bar. He should have been a politician, not a footballer. He's, he knows what to do. The alternate theory is he was actually just getting as far away from Hendo and Trent as he could possibly be. And that meant running to the other end of the pitch. I hope the Spurs account took it. So it was like, right, well, look, he's obviously joining us because look, he's getting close <laughs> to Harry. That's I how the fans have done it. I saw some criticism for Mbappe for celebrating Kane missing a penalty. So look, you can see just about anything on your timeline these days. Um, yeah. Pope, nothing to say there. Ramsdale, if nothing else, um, we're expecting Connor Cody to not make another tournament. Ramsdale can probably fill in the good lad in camp role if, if all else fails. And has more of a chance to get a minutes probably. So yeah, yeah. makes sense. Uh, Trent plays 40 minutes against Wales and that's it. <laughs> I think he, I don't think he was under any illusions was he going into the tournament. I think, he, if he, I think he's he knows behind his place. and he's behind Walker, yeah. I thought, I saw so many tweets <clears throat> regarding Trent and his game time after the final whistle. And I just thought, well, in what, what yeah. game have you just watched? Yeah. Because Trent doing the Walker role in this game, I think things <laughs> turn out pretty yeah, good. I mean, Walker, what, he had one instance really where Mbappe torches him for pace, which that was he's scary. going to do to every fullback in the world. And he still does enough that he forced him to take the cross on his weak foot and it's Shiru in the middle. He's not the fastest at getting up with play. So if that's the worst Mbappe does to your game, I think Walker would have taken that if he was uh, asked beforehand. Yeah. Connor Cody, no minutes here. Uh, I'm I'm no great fan of the guy. I, I thought he should have come on against Wales over Trippier. Just against some minutes, though, you think? Yeah, I, I think if, he, if he's as good of a lad as you say he is in camp, at 3-0 up, I think you can give the bloke 10 minutes in a World Cup. He's got his kids in the stand. I think you can do a bit of that. I have been surprised. Worst charity caps. I'm surprised Southgate hasn't done that as well. When I look at other managers who've made a real point of doing it. I know Brazil manager obviously did it. I know Luis Enrique's done it before. Yeah. Um, I'm surprised. Yeah, I am surprised Southgate hasn't done that. He was too happy to be on the bench. Just that ecstatic just be around. Um. Eric Dyer plays 20 minutes against Iran, conceded one in that time. I don't want anyone to forget that. Um, <laughs> Honestly, thank God we didn't have to see him anymore. Goals conceded, uh, conceded to minutes ratio, not good for Eric. I saw a clip of him talking about um, films and I genuinely turned it off because I thought, I don't want you to be relatable in any kind of way. <laughs> it was him talking about American Psycho and he was getting into it with Kane as well. And I thought, no, I don't need to see this. Keep this as far away from me as possible. I'll have to check out him and Kane doing a psychoanalysis on American Psycho. It'd be an incredibly so interesting uh, He dynamic. apparently is a keen reader. 
And he said there's a film club at Spurs with him, Kane, and Matt Doherty. And he's basically doing the, yes, the film's good, but you should read the book. And it's a lot funnier when you can draw from the book uh, what you're seeing on screen. Kane's saying, well, I mean, I've heard it's a great film. I thought it was all right. I'm not saying it's a bad film, but I just I thought it was all right. That feels exactly like what I would probably expect from Kane. Also was my summary of that film, to be fair. So <laughs> that wasn't good. Um, so yeah, it's just a little chat with them. And then you throw in that piece of work, Josh Denzel. Honestly, I was gutted and I still wanted a shot of him crying come the final whistle. <laughs> Fortunately, wasn't to be. He's got everywhere else. So I'm surprised we didn't get it. Now, Harry Maguire, stock risen here, you've got to say. I mean, he was blamed for the opener against Iran. Then he did the right thing, went off ill. No one's scoring anymore against me. Get off, let Eric die. Let me show you what you could be having. (laughs) Could have done better for Giroud's goal. Was great against the USA when others weren't. I think he more than showed why he's in the team and why he's probably the first name in that defence after Carl Walker. Yeah, I think the fact that we're not talking about him as we have been doing for the past five years shows how yeah. decent he's been this this tournament. It's that's exactly how he would have wanted it. And if we're all being honest, I think the guy's he's been he's had enough. I've well, been banging that drum. As soon as yep. he puts that red yep. shirt back on, though. Let's go. Let's I hope go again, he doesn't baby. have any inclinations that things could be different because I'm afraid not. <laughs> and we don't count Nations League either. So you performing well in those is doing this. <laughs> <laughs> See you in 2024, boss. Until then, yep. I wish the worst for you. Yeah. S- similar story for Luke Shaw. <laughs> Good tournament. Barely did much wrong. Cemented his claim as England's top left back. I don't think for a while you're going to hear Shaw and Chilwell as a debate, to be honest. I don't know about that. I mean, obviously, I'm going to look at it differently. I think, I think Cherwell's a bit more athletic. I think he gets up and down a lot, a lot more. I think Shaw's better when you've got the, when you've got um, when you're kind of sitting in or needing to defend. I think Cherwell's better with the ball. I think um, Cherwell could benefit from if Rhys James nails down that right hand side, which I suspect he will. I think yeah. you might get a, while well, this comes as a pair, sort of situation, which feels a little bit silly, but I think you could end up seeing that as a sort of, if Trent and Robbo were the same nationality, you might have ended up having that. Maybe um, I'm drinking the Kool-Aid a bit. I don't think United are going to be bad enough that Luke Shaw is going to be under the microscope so much. And unfortunately, Jack, I do think Chelsea are that bad. They are going to have to get their house could be. Yeah. <laughs> And I think I think um, we all know how it goes with Chelsea. We'll be shit, and then we'll, win got it's like, so we'll see what happens next with year. with Trent. Yeah, there was, and it obviously hasn't gone this way. I thought that his only real chance of forcing his way into this England team was he almost needed Liverpool to be bad, and he had to be able to prove that he's a very good defender. And unfortunately, he's give, been given the opportunity to prove that and, it ha- and it's gone the other way. The first bit of the equation came in. It was just the second bit. Yeah. And so that's why I think with Luke Shaw, I think he's got that place. 
And I think with in similar to what you said with Pickford, I don't think there's enough yeah, yeah. that Chilwell can do that I don't think I, I think Chilwell would need to hit Trent levels at left back to where people are saying it's mental that we can have this guy anywhere else. And he'd have to stay fit, which if it's an issue for Luke Shaw, it's an issue for Chilwell. That's, that's the issue. I think that'll be the hindrance to his career more than anything. Yeah. It's just his own body. He's just he had long term injury at Leicester. He's had two long term injuries here. Yeah, I'll, I'll apply the logic I've applied to some other players where I've just gone, well, the only thing is he's only had two really huge colossal injuries. It's not like he's injury pros. <laughs> yeah, that's an interesting way of looking at it. Yeah. Like Chelsea buying Fafana. Well, I was about um, to say I did it with uh, Joe Gomez, but I think there might be some other issues with Joe <laughs> Gomez and fairness. Um, <laughs> John Stones. Probably the most disappointed I've been with anyone in the tournament. Blimey. I don't think you can have the chat that you have for John Stones beforehand, which I was very quick to try and pour some water on. I think he he was considered our best defender after Walker pre-tournament. Hmm. His marking was terrible all tournament. His his the passing was often left to Maguire, which I thought was the reason John Stones was what he was. Like he's a ball playing centre back. Hmm. It's supposed to be Maguire giving it to him in that instance, and Maguire was the guy spraying Diags. And I think he hit, to be honest with you. I think when you look back at the goals that we conceded in this tournament, I think he has a lot to answer for. And I think when you were expecting him to be the senior one and he was supposed to be the karmic influence, I, I don't think he was that. If anything, I thought he did the opposite and... Yeah, Maguire did bail him out a couple of times, didn't he? There was a couple of, like you said, a couple of ones where he's just left his man. The USA game, there was like four corners in a row and yeah. it was John Stones almost every single time. John Stones is the one who is behind Giroud when the second goal goes in. He's the guy who has the run on him and he can see everything you'd hope in front of him. Doesn't read it at all, does he? I think I think this is what is just what he is, basically. I think he was just being spoken up to... Uh, an insane level that he's never been at. He... Uh, I I don't know if he's been taught up that much though. I, I, I think he's been taught up enough in that we've probably traditionally underrated him because I think we look at him as the calamity Everton defender still a bit. Like there's still a bit of that there. And maybe to overcompensate that, maybe you're right that he got taught up to a, a level that he wasn't. But I don't think, you know, no one was going in and calling him like elite, I don't think. I, I was seeing shouts that he's top five in the, in the Premier League. Hmm. Just for the general pundits and uh, football Twitter timeline. <clears throat> Whether he's top three at City is is a better is a better discussion to have. I, it it is it is one of those where you think if you stuck a Ruben Neves or I don't know someone. That reliable centre half, as opposed to the flaky one, or Diaz. That I always, uh, I always defer that. It's an interesting I thing. Mean, if you canvass City fans, they seem to think Stones is better than Diaz. It's an interesting thing from the outside looking in. We don't rate him that high, but I, City fans really seem to rate him highly. I wouldn't know. A lot of them call him their the best centre half, which you know. Diaz is under surveillance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
but so is that whole. I, mean, I don't think a lot of the city players have uh, shown themselves up to be uh, the level a, we thought they were. Yeah, at it's just such a different, such a different gig, isn't it? Especially Next I think stop. for a, a centre half, it's such a different gig. And I will say the the level this England team performed that is why I think there's there's two people in this team really that I, I think didn't perform to their true potential. Um, John other, Stones is one of them. Yeah, the others I've I've been accused the last week or so of having an agenda, which I don't believe to be the case. But we'll see how we go. I actually think Stones and Maguire both showed themselves to be probably what we suspect we've suspected all along throughout this Southgate tenure that good but just not top class defenders. And as a result, you know that you're going to have the goal like the Giroud goal because it's they're just not top draw where they can read that and they don't get beat by it. It's they've got certain deficiencies in their game that, as you said, that probably are what they are now. I think um, in the same way that any time Trent makes a mistake, yeah, the Chelsea fans come out and they tell you, oh, Reece James wouldn't do that. I, I think I'm single-handedly pushing this with John Stones and Ben White. Because... I was I was about to say, I think you are maybe seeing things through the prism of Ben White. <laughs> well, it's mainly about... I, I see the way Stones is spoken about and I don't see that he does anything that Ben White doesn't or can't do. And so I I, I just don't see Stones on the level. Maybe I maybe I follow the wrong people. If, if, if time proceeds the way that it's been going the last season, I feel that... Well, they're both playing it right back now is, is what makes it, that a more interesting one because they're probably... It's a tougher one to force you out of that position. He's probably on Tamori and Gurney and the others we'll get on to. Do you foresee Ben White yes, staying? Yes, for as long as uh, Saliba and Gabrielle have the partnership they do, I think being a right back opens up the range of passing for Ben White more. Yeah, he's he seems to have well, an understanding with Saka. And I think for the way Arteta speaks about him, I think just the maximum amount of time he can have the ball at Ben White's feet I think that's something he wants to do. So there we go. He is now at Arsenal training, by the way. So uh, that's crisis, an, uh, a crisis averted. An interesting situation, that. Well, I will speak about him in two players' time. Um, I was, you're thinking about John Stones. He's kind of like that, um, about you saying about basically not getting culpability. He's kind of like that guy in The Apprentice who is able to not be so quiet that they drag him back in and say, well, you've hit <laughs> But he's actually done a, the best job of hiding where he's been like the second quietest. Where for some reason he doesn't get pulled back in and the other guy has been. It's incredible. I think City players benefit from that in general anyway. And the same applies to Phil Foden. If you, the the pressure of playing for Man City is so, so different to the pressures of playing for Liverpool, yeah, Arsenal, yeah. Man United, Chelsea. And yes, there's the pressure of having to win titles, but what what's the what's the pressure really from outside of football like everyone else they're just gutted you haven't won because you've not knocked Liverpool off there or you've probably not locked Arsenal yeah. off there or Chelsea we aren't really criticising you like that you're not you getting get... sort of banter for the slightest little thing either whereas every other club just is getting hammered I mean, Stones had the one from that uh, like League 2 uh, attacker and I'm seeing think pieces for him saying how out of order it is yeah. come on <laughs> I think if you look at what I mean Trent and Maguire in that side alone put up with um, Kieran Trippier, 90 minutes versus USA and Iran, came on against Wales. Southgate then preferred Walker and a lack of a five meant he was out. 
Do you think this was as simple as Walker was always going to come in? Do you think Southgate initially was going to go to a five? And do you think maybe he ends up choosing Saka over Trippier really with the system? Yeah, I think circumstances ended up dictating with this one, didn't they? I think we ended up looking good enough with the four that Southgate stuck with it. I think he probably would have reverted to the five, but it would have been his intention. But I don't think... I think we looked good enough uh, in the four that he was going to keep it. And I think Carl Walker was always going to play against France. So in which case, yeah. that's how Trippier ended up missing out. He could probably consider himself a bit unlucky because he's mm. probably thought, Southgate likes me and I'm in some of the best form of my career at the minute. But that's the way it goes, isn't it? I think Luke Shaw has a lot to do with it as well because we kind of thought, okay, well, he'll shuffle over to left back because Southgate will want to keep him in the side as well. Mm. And then Shaw hasn't really put a foot wrong. So I will say that uh, we didn't touch on it. That's one decent enough advert for Southgate having learned as well is that he was comfortable enough to go with the four because it's how well we're playing. He didn't go, yeah. right, I'm going to revert to what I know, which typically was probably what I would expect from him. He's a bit conservative and maybe not the most flexible. He showed a little bit more to himself, at least in that regard. I'm going to ask you to reflect on him in just a moment yeah. because, uh, yeah, we still, we'll still we be deciding his future. <laughs> um, Carl Walker comes in for the Wales game. Southgate decides he's the man. Good game versus Mbappe. Best balance possible. I think it's probably as simple as that, really. I think if he's been fit, he'd have played the whole tournament. Um, it would have been really interesting if Reese James was there. Mm, yeah. To see... Who would have played over I think we'd play a five probably then. Um, ben White, zero minutes. We still don't really know what the issue was. It was reported in ESPN and The Sun that he wasn't blending in, integrating with the squad how they'd have liked, and then ultimately an argue with assistant Steve Holland is the point at which he's sent home or chooses to leave whichever story you read. I've been I've been banging this drum. You can't trust a guy <laughs> called Benjamin. Uh, I believe half this story to be fair. Uh, even if he wasn't an Arsenal player, the integration point just seems strange when he was there at the Euros, didn't play a single minute there, came in as a last-minute replacement where you'd think he would be more of an outsider. Maybe that was in England. Maybe that felt. Maybe that was a bit different. I, uh, I don't know. Just strange. I can see. I don't even see him as being that much of an argumentative personality going from the documentary. But I guess his things are going to flare up at that point. And if we take the conversation we had about the reasons for and against bringing certain second choice keepers, TK. Maybe if. He's his head's not in it. He's bringing the mood down. It's simpler to say. So yeah. So see you later. This would be saying personal reasons and leaving. I think is an odd one from the from England side. I think that's an odd way of handling it. But that's why I would question whether this has all happened. Whether there was a big bust up or what. I find that a little bit weird. But yeah, that that thing you just touched on there, where I would I reckon potentially, and the difference from the last tournament, where obviously he's not at Arsenal and he's not in the form that he's in at this point. I think he's going to feel so much more established at this point. I think he probably deserves to have a start. And I do question, is he going to want to be there in a way and not playing? Particularly if he's just seen Eric Dyer come on and probably thinks, right, I'm not even ahead of him in the pecking order. I said at the time, didn't I? That was strange. Yeah. Do I want to be here? Probably not. And, you know, he's, 
as a character, probably the opposite of someone like Connor Cody. And I do, yeah. I wonder whether that was just part of it. Maybe if he was just, even if just a little bit quiet, I would say, I would probably say sulky. But even if you didn't yeah. perceive it as sulky and it was just a quiet guy, I wonder if they thought that's not what I want from my, as it is, fifth choice centre half or whatever it would be. I, I, I mean, you, we've all probably had it personally. I know from personal experience, unfortunately, you'll probably back it up. But I know at some points you can be in a mood and you yourself can acknowledge there is nothing that is there is nothing that's changing this mood other than just removing yourself from the situation and maybe that was the case i thought as you said the statements make it more interesting arsenal tweeted out where we're all here with you or something like yeah, that yeah again there that's that's just an odd england said um we we would like you to respect his personal uh, his privacy at this time I think there's probably a combination. Maybe something has happened that he would have stayed in the squad for previously. Maybe he's had an argument with Steve Holland. Steve Holland is saying you should stay in the squad. He's saying I want to leave and they have an argument that flares yeah. into something where there's no coming back and you couldn't do a Sterling and go away and come back. Mm. I don't know what it is. I think the, I mean, I know what social media is like. Some people, I think, genuinely do believe that Ben White hates football to the extent. <laughs> but he never even said he hates football. Just he doesn't watch it, yeah. He, even, he literally said, I wouldn't go home and watch like a La Liga game when he was being asked about who his favourite like foreign players were mm. because it feels like work. It's like going home and doing your job when you get home. Mm. But then said he loves the team aspect and the ethic and being with the boys and all of that. We We may never know. I think the way the story was written was like they've heard some rumblings and then made a story out of it. Because yeah, with, there wasn't much to the, go on, was there? With, with the size of the story that he'd gone home, for it to get a little byline at the bottom of the back page tells me they didn't have enough to go on where they could really, really write a story. Because that, that's back page yeah. news. If if there's been a bust up in the camp, yeah, yeah, yeah. that means he's going home. That should be the back page. What the back page that day was like? Harry Kane saying, "I've not scored yet, but I'm not worried," or something like that. I feel like we've been so kind of devoid of a bust up in the England camp for so long that you were 100 percent right that if there was enough to go on, Southgate dealt with it incredibly well. I thought to not fan the flames at all. Yeah, he's um, very good at taking sort yeah. of the juice out of that, isn't he? Because our yeah. media normally run with anything. Yeah. Jude Bellingham becomes the star boy for the nation, really. Um, Sean against Senegal. He'd looked good before. He stood up against France. Um, gets some time away from the Liverpool boys now, but made his name if it wasn't there already. He He showed a lot of people that weren't familiar with his games if we go the the meme the meme direction. <laughs> um zero minutes for Connor Gallagher. Jordan Henderson forgot Gallagher was there. <laughs> Legit yeah. did forget. I thought he had and then I looked at the substitutions and I didn't see him on there. So if he did then maybe I missed it while I was looking earlier but saw one for Connor Cody. Yeah. If he did. Um Henderson comes on for the USA game to relentless criticism 
and then starts every game after that and shows what he can do. Um, for all the criticism that I've seen from some corners after the France game that were always going to be there, for and I, for all the criticism that you can level his way, I don't think you can ever accuse him of hiding. No. And for anyone to even level that in his direction, I think isn't familiar with him as a player or a person because he's someone in a, a weird way of phrasing I would trust far more to make a mistake than to allow someone else to. I think he's always going to try and do, he's not going to run away from the ball. He's not going to not try and play that pass. And uh, I think his stock has risen as much as anyone's in uh, this tournament. Real, you must have forgot moment yeah. because this guy didn't captain Liverpool to a Premier League, a Champions League, and all of these other trophies just because he shouts a lot on the pitch. Which I even saw that being, you know, he shout, he does the talking. He does a lot more than that. Um, it's funny because he went from being the Roy Hodgson era Henderson had this little dabble in the middle where he won all these massive trophies, and then all of a sudden people just putting back in that Roy Hodgson era England's kind of bracket again without any real justification. There was some justification to say that his level had dropped off, but I think just the the pace of international football just seemed to suit him perfectly. And even just being that, that yard slower, it, he was then able to use the same kind of grit and doggedness that makes him the player he is. And he was able to show that to a level in which First times at Liverpool this season, he's just been chasing the ball. Yeah, great. Um, Mason Mount, mixed bag, did what he should against Iran. One of the worst performances ever recorded against the USA. <laughs> um, wins the penalty against France. So all's well that ends well, you could say. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think it's just indicative of his season so far. I'm really hoping that. He comes back, kicks on and gets yeah. back to last season's kind of form. I think it was just the wrong tournament at the wrong time for him. I think if that tournament happens last year, then he probably features a lot more and does a lot better. But then I don't think half of the players that played well this, this tournament do well last season. So uh, Gareth's seen that little cameo from through. Mount at Let's the go end again. and gone, so you're saying there's a chance? <laughs> Get him back. <laughs> Run through some yeah. of these other names. So Calvin Phillips came on against Wales and Senegal, but didn't have the impact he'd have liked. Henderson stole his job, basically. Um, came back to the office and uh, Gareth Keenan's in his chair. <laughs> um, <laughs> Decl- Declan Rice is the player I would put in the boat with John Stones. I don't think he had a bad tournament. I just think he underperformed. Showed what he could do in the second half against France. And then you're questioning, well, where was that in the first half? Maybe Southgate was restricting him. I think that's the angle that West Ham fans are pushing. I'd you probably go down that route and say that... I'd, look, I said earlier in the pod that this is everything that I worry about with Declan Rice is that he'll go for a big money move. We know where he's going. A team where you're, yeah, where you're going to have all of the ball and he's a different player than he is for West Ham. Um... I think that you you kind of just give Bellingham that free free rom kind of 
free movement role within the team based on his form. And I feel that Declan Rice did pay a slight oh, price because of it. And we're I didn't told like... to, to cover more. But that's why that's why I would be so annoyed because I feel that if you're playing that role in that goal... I don't even have too much game. of an issue with that. I didn't like more the first half against Senegal, the game against the USA. I, I, even, even here, I didn't like the lack of times that he showed himself to be an outlet for the centre-backs. I don't think it should have been Maguire playing these big diagonal passes. And... It's, I mean, it's a strong accusation to make. I did think he was hiding at times. I think there was times at which he would stand behind Chiumeni and raise his hands in the air. And why have you not passed it to me? I'm right here. And I would always talk about the deceptive running stats from Ertzel in which like, you can jump for a header, but you're shrinking when you jump. You're not really wanting to win that ball. You're just putting yourself in that position and you can sprint to the point of where the tackle is going to be. And then you can slow down just slow enough that the player nicks it in front of you. And I think it was that level of things. I don't know if he didn't want to make a mistake. I don't know if um, he was just trying to let someone else do the work, but there was such a disconnect between the defence and midfield at times and I thought he had a lot to answer for in that. I, I think when we talk about stocks rising and falling, I think he's probably the, one of the only players in the England team where his stock's slightly fallen, just because we finally see England play a game where not only do they have all of the ball, but they look to do something with it most of the time they have it, which you can't say has been the norm recently. And looking forward, and is Declan Rice, do you want him to be that guy for you? He's the one receiving this ball, or he's the one in the midfield looking for this, for that pass from the defence. And I think it, it could potentially shine him in a poor light, where a big team will look at, like, say... I mean, the main room is Chelsea, obviously, because of the connection. If we're sat there thinking, is he the guy that we want when we're playing against 10, 11 men behind the ball, having the ball, receiving it from the defence? That's always been the question mark, I feel, above his head. Yeah, the issue isn't him doing that. The issue is him doing that if you're expecting him to do something else. And that's, I think, me and TK spoke about it a couple of weeks back, about the the team he goes to really is going to have such an impact on how we determine he's done because um, as you've seen with someone like Jadon Sancho, Calvin Phillips, like the right or wrong move really can break you. Hmm. Yeah. Jack Greenish as well. Yeah. The, great, um, the, the, the clearest sign you've got with how Rise's tournament has gone is after the last tournament, everyone's going, ah, that's why it's a hundred million pound midfielder. And after this tournament, we're going, Hundred million pound. Oh, people are getting a bit shaky yeah. on it. Well, the, the rumor is already seventy now for Chelsea. Mm, it's have a year left on it. I agree. With you. If I have um, one criticism of him, it is what you said that we watched a lot of games with Stones and Maguire passing ball side to side because he had nothing on. As our deepest midfielder, just by default, it falls to you to at least offer something else and create a triangle and get something going, even if they don't give it to you, it creates a bit of space. And I, I didn't think I don't think that comes naturally to him, which is a, a bit of a concern if you're going to spend that much money on him. But he's really good at France, I think. Uh, yeah. Phil Foden, um, Southgate was battered for not playing him sooner. He makes his mark against Wales and then starts every game after that and shows what he can do. Um, he, he either needs to show for his club now that he can play centrally or we need a system that allows him to be able to dictate the game from the position he's in. I think if you look at what Griezmann did on Saturday, 
that's what we're expecting Phil Foden to do in a game like this. Agreed. Yeah, yeah. That's, I guess, two things. They've given him the freedom to do it, but also Griezmann is experienced enough and knows his role enough that he's able to to do that. And in fairness to Griezmann, he does do the other side of the game as well. He's not just all flashy and, and technical. So I guess that's part of it with Foden. Yeah. Uh, Jack Grealish got his goal against Iran, but no real chances after that. Harry Kane, two goals, one missed penalty, lit up the Iran game despite not scoring. TK, if I ask you straight up, was his performance, was his uh, tournament, his tournament campaign a disappointment? That penalty alone. I mean, ultimately, you're the guy you you can't blaze it over like that um mixed bag with him I think some of those games think the Iran game uh and which game the other game I think about the Senegal game I think he showed yeah. what he's supposed to be doing when it's terms of dropping deep but also offering something up, up top um but I think in some of the other games he kind of got caught coming deep too often and not doing it enough so I think you've had a real mixed bag with him so I don't know, a so-so tournament for someone of his quality, probably. Don't think it's a disaster, but I don't think he's lit it up either. No. I think that's I think that's exactly what you said at the end there. It's exactly right. <clears throat> someone of his quality, this player that we say is the best number nine in the world, I don't think he had the best... What, it kind of performance levels of someone mm. that you'd attribute to being the best number nine in the world. No. This tournament... I think if that's what we're if that's what we're calling this guy, and he's shown it before that he can do it. Yes, he played really well against a really poor Iran team, and he did play well in the France game, bar the penalty miss. But those Ronaldo in his pomp, at 20, 29 years old, or however old Harry Kane is, is burying both those pens. If I think really yeah, the other thing, a lot of Spurs fans will probably rush to his defence, but I would probably ask them, well, is this Harry Kane? the best version of Harry Kane that you've seen? Have you seen him better for Spurs? And I'm pretty confident they'd say, no, no, we've seen a much better Harry Kane for Spurs. Well, if we put that Harry Kane in this England team, how much of a difference would that make? It would just be such an extra like dimension to our team. If... Yeah, because I, I feel like this tournament, he, he created a lot for others, but then he doesn't create a lot for himself. He has to wait for it, so then he'll come deep and then that changes his game completely. I feel like you look at almost like Giroud's performance didn't really do a lot anywhere else on the pitch, but then pops up with a game-winning goal in one of the biggest games of the tournament. I think it's unfair That's to compare him to difference. Giroud. I think if, if France had lost that game, every eye would have been on Mbappe. Mm. And I think if England then lose the game, even if you take the penalty out of it, every eye has to be on Harry Kane. He is the best player in the squad. He is the most established player in the squad. It's on you. If we're not playing well, it should be on you to drag us out of it. And unfortunately, um, he didn't do that. I've, I, I think you're right. I think the one thing I'd say in his defence, I think Jürgen Klinsmann made a really good point about this, is that if we just go back to the, the game analysis quickly, the amount of time that he had to wait because the ref made the wrong decision, I had to go to VAR, then it was checked, and he had to stand there going through his head. In a normal game, in any other game, both those 
probably three of them, all three penalties get given and he probably takes them within a minute, a minute of them being given after a quick VAR check to check they were fouls, which they were. I think, I think he had to wait like seven and a half minutes total for all of the VAR decisions. And it's a lot of time to put on someone in a massive World Cup game against the best team in the tournament. So that, I will say, is probably didn't work in his favour um, at all. James Madison arrived injured, never got fit. Rashford ends the tournament as our joint top scorer. Can be unhappy he wasn't given more chances once Sterling left the camp, but Foden played him out of it. Um, he's playing with confidence again. I don't think there'll be any debates in the next England squad as to whether he's in it. Um, did about, I guess, as well as he could have hoped he'd done in terms of his stock, in terms of his performance, but I guess the difference would be what he offers out of possession, uh, sorry, in controlling the possession in comparison to Foden and regardless of what United fans will tell you, he, he didn't do more than Saka, so he wasn't forcing him out of the side. I think as well, we didn't even mention well, his free we kick. briefly did, but yeah, a lot of pressure on him. For, I don't think yeah. you can expect him to bang that in. Yeah, yeah. It was no, as in how close it was. How close the narrative it would it would have been <laughs> for the yeah. narrative. Even had the Ronaldo uh, deep breath. Saka, um, our star of the tournament, alongside Bellingham, joint top scorer, sh- showed the rest of the country why we rate him so highly at Arsenal. And performance against France shows that if he can add a bit of aggression to his game, he's going to the moon. Um, I'm hoping that's the next kind of evolution in his game because uh, I think he's already a top five right winger in the world. And if he can just refine certain things a little bit more, I don't think it'll even be a debate as to who's uh, starting on that right-hand side for us. He's probably sealed up the position, hasn't he? Unless he goes on a real nosedive form-wise, I think he's probably nailed that position now. I think, yeah, 100%. I think that's the, well, it's been a, not a problem position, but with Sterling cutting in from the left, mm. it's always kind of left. Who do we put on the right? And he's well, the answer Sterling to all these questions. didn't deliver how he has previously for a variety of reasons. And yeah, go battle Foden and Rashford for your place back now because uh, you're in trouble. And then mm. lastly, Callum Wilson, assist against Iran, nothing after. Can't fault him, but Tony may uh, make the argument that when you bring an injury-prone player, you can probably expect them to get injured, and uh, that is what happened. I think that hindsight's twenty twenty, and this was always going to happen. We even said it. I think if we go out and we're hoofing the ball up for the last ten minutes, and we don't have Tony there, <clears throat> we're always going to ask that question. Um, and I feel like the minutes that some of the other players didn't get in the tournament at all and the ones that went home, I feel that it does look a bit of a rash decision not to include him, especially there was always going to be a time in this tournament where we're going to need someone big up front. Kane, yeah. Kane isn't a target man. He's many uh, things. He's not a target man. If we needed someone just big up there to just bounce the ball. Obviously, the interesting thing being Tony would be the only one if you were going to go, and this is a very unique set of circumstances, but... Kane has to take a second penalty against his club mate 
Tony would have been the only one where you'd go, oh, we could put him on it instead. I'd still think ego-wise we couldn't take Kane off it, but it's the only one you, maybe because his yeah, penalties are so sure. good. You could go, it's something different. Yeah. to. Uh, sorry. I will say the inclusion of Wilson, I think the next one you're going to have to look at is, I thought it really exposed the, the danger of bringing someone injury prone like him because we had a situation where we were worried about Kane's fitness and then it's, oh, by the way, you know, Callum Wilson might have a knock. And <laughs> yeah. The second choice striker can't be that unreliable. And as, no. as good as I think he is, I, I know I said pretty soon I'd have had him and Tony in there, but certainly if I have to make a straight swap, if if Tony isn't putting hundreds of bets on, um, I'm not, then he's getting ahead of Wilson for me because that's, you can rely on him. You can't rely on like, Callum Wilson. You, I don't need that Tony run up in a World Cup quarterfinal. Yeah, but that'll hit like crack if he does score. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Now, Southgate's future, big question almost immediately after the game on Saturday. I guess the facts are he does seem to be getting better tactically with his management, all of these things, or maybe the squad just are. That's mm. the question to ask. His tactical plan Saturday works well. It comes down to ultimately Kane blazing a penalty into orbit. Um, as the stat I'm sure you've both seen about a hundred times now, England won six knockout games in major tournaments between 68 and 2016 He's won six from 2018 to 2022. He said post-game, these tournaments take a lot out of you and I need a bit of time to reflect. I think that's the right thing to do. It needs a bit of time to make sure everybody makes the right decision. (laughs) Very sensible. Very sound. Imagine he'd been in that title race with uh, Pep TK. He wouldn't have made it to the end. I nearly didn't and I wasn't even in charge of it. (laughs) Um. Mark Bullingham, the uh, CEO of the FA, said, like all England fans, we feel the pain of losing a quarterfinal along with the coaches, players and support team who were hurting this morning. Gareth and Steve prepared the team exceptionally well throughout the tournament. The players were committed to winning the trophy and were very well led by Harry Kane. But the sport can have fine margins and on the day against the current world champions, it was not to be. This is a very exciting young English squad and despite the intense disappointment of last night, they should be very proud of their performances in Qatar. We are incredibly proud of Gareth, the players, the coaches, the support team and the hard work they put in. Um, TK, should he stay on? Do you think he stays on? Don't get into any of the possible replacements yet because I'll run you through them. Um, I... I would have been absolutely sure he stayed on, but his, him saying what he did did put a bit of doubt in my mind. But I think Jack's probably right. I think it's probably the right thing to say. Um, I think he'll stay on to the Euros, and I personally would keep him on. Bear in mind, it's only 18 months away now because of the way this tournament obviously fell. I would roll with it. I think, as you said, we are getting better. I wondered if we might stagnate or be stale. I don't think we have. This could be one tournament too far, but I'm willing to kind of find out because I do think we were a bit unlucky against France and that's not bad going to be unlucky to lose to France. I'll, I'll take it. It's not, no. I think he's got some serious flaws, but I think he's getting better. So, Jack, um, Tuchel and Pochettino are both strongly linked. Should we be wary after seeing possibly the two most revered managers in the tournament in Hansi Flick and Luis Enrique be eliminated so early? Is it more complex than the best manager is the guy you bring in internationally. Yeah, I've, I mean, 
to start off with, I think this is what they call now in the trade a Rudiger, where the previous 18 months is, a, is probably why you wouldn't keep Southgate on or you wouldn't want to replace him. This last tournament, you've actually seen glimpses of what his vision is and you think, oh, actually, this looks quite promising. I think with Tickle and Pochettino, it's so tricky, isn't it? Because it's a project situation. It's very cyclical to Chelsea where do you go for the project and when the project starts bearing fruit, then replace him for a guy that's in for short-term game? Because Southgate, I don't think he's going to have any club offers, if I'm being honest. I think he's. I think it's one of those where, if it goes poorly for Tuchel or Pochettino, or as soon as a big managerial change happens in the Premier League, who's sat waiting in the wings in the England national job? One of these two. I think you'd be surprised with Southgate. There was a time he was credibly linked to take over Oli at United. No, I know. I get it. But still, you don't think if uh, Graham Potter went, no, I, so. I can see him in the Spurs dugout. To be completely honest with you, I can too. Win. I can also He's see him in the Everton one, and I don't know what that says about him, Everton, and Spurs. I, w- I would like to retract now, just because I'm sure it will be on TK's mind. Um, I do take back what I said about Lampard post game on Saturday. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't think Lampard could do a say? better job as England manager than <laughs> that was rash hey, emotions were running high point. they <laughs> were um, I much like you've both said would have been convinced he was staying I think it's a nice cushy job for him you work eight weeks a year um, I mean someone has taken it out of him the amount it has um, and I would thought it would have been nailed on for him to stay until these uh, statements. Maybe if you're the people making these decisions, I don't think they're too uh, straight and narrow like that, but there's always the thing of if you're thinking about quitting, then that's already good enough reason to get rid. That's also one of those things that sounds really good or looks really good in writing. And yet when you, put it under a tiny bit of scrutiny makes zero sense has anyone not considered I, their position in any job like you think Klopp's never thought do I need to do this or whatever do you think Pep's never thought oh fuck off of course they haven't it's ridiculous but <laughs> much in the same way as you know like, no. winners wins yeah or they get lucky and get a competent ref or put a penalty in or whatever it's fine margins I think you can actually compare this very nicely to what we said with Harry Maguire pre-tournament when it seemed so obvious to not have him in the squad or not have him in your team. And then when the question was, okay, but who do you have in instead? And then things got a little more complicated. TK, if I can ensure you're sat down and uh, holding on time for this, the odds that have shortened the most in the last 72 hours are, for a manager you'll know very well, actually, um, the current Leicester manager, Brendan <laughs> Rodgers. <laughs> oh my God. We got so sick of, you know, nearly winning stuff. We thought we got to get to Brendan. You know, I think Roy deserves For a second take, unfortunately. I think he's happily <laughs> retired. Oh my God. Um, the other names linked. 
Eddie Howe is going to be strongly pushed. Scott Parker too, on account of being English. Jesus. Uh, Wayne Rooney is a name you're going to hear. I think Eddie Howe, from where his stock was at Bournemouth and we were touting him for the next England boss, to then just going off radar. He's never leaving the team for the England. To now again. Um, No, he's not. But when he inevitably gets sacked for their big name manager, that's when. If I could ask you about Steve Cooper. What do you want to know about him? What do you think? If if Southgate went tomorrow... (laughs) Booker's odds opened up and you saw Steve Cooper as the bookie's favourite. I think the sheer profile of it would probably be too much for him. I do think he's a good manager, a good coach, but I think the profile alone, I, yeah, we can't, and I just can't underestimate how big a part of it it is and Southgate has got that part of it nailed. I think that's very difficult for someone who's just a football manager to deal with. And that's why I think it's such a different thing to even the best club managers can struggle with that. Um, so I would need I would if need I, to see more from Steve Cooper. But I, you know, let's face it; it's far from guaranteed he'll keep Forrest up this year. If if I took the Tuchel and Potch out of it, <laughs> and I asked you, Scott Parker, Jesus, Frank Lampard, Wayne Rooney, Steve Cooper, does Rooney feel the obvious? What about there? Stevie Gerrard? Christ, I. <laughs> I take Lampard ten times before I take <laughs> Gerard in the job. You're forgetting his time at Rangers. Have some respect. Well, if Michael Beale can come with him, yeah, yeah, then maybe we do it that yeah. way. And if he tries to bring uh, Neil Critchley with him, then we say we'll take push you even. We'll get the whole away. band buzzing. Um, who? Oh, I didn't even consider Rooney I- until I saw the name, and I thought. I mean, if that's the choice, I'll go with Steve Cooper because I think he's the best manager of the bunch. But, I mean, this is a big reason of why I'd keep Southgate for the next one because I, I don't think there's a viable candidate, I think. The good managers I'll aren't going to leave their clubs and the other ones aren't good enough for the job, I don't think. Well, Arsene Wenger is again having his name put in the mix. Um, we have seen he loves a pound note these days, so maybe. How um, old is Wenger nowadays as well, by the way? Late like, I mean, give the guy a break. You're going to see Serena Wiegmann's name come back up. Mm. I saw a bloke getting cooked when he tried doing the, you know what, it's not actually all these years of hurt. It's like a hundred and something days. And even like the most <laughs> strong <laughs> women's football supporters were like, just shut the fuck up, please. Like, like all the women's footballers have routinely <laughs> said, we don't want this comparison. It does us mm. no good. And all it yeah. does is turn people off to our game. And yet blokes do it for, I mean, you get some clear retweets out of it, but yeah, I don't know if she would be a serious consideration. I think she probably is more a serious consideration than some of the names in there. And a name that isn't going to go away until he's in a job, and you may see where I'm going here, Sean Deitch. I promise you that name is going to be within the top five on the odds. It's it's weird, isn't it? Because all of these names prior to the tournament and the way that England were playing, you'd take a punt on because you've got to think, right, it's probably better than what we're seeing right now. 
But this, this tournament... We're in territory. I've been charmed, yeah. Yeah, I feel like this crop of players with that 4-3-3 system and the tactical awareness that I saw in this tournament, I don't see any of those names that you've just mentioned what? winning the next tournament. Whereas I could see Southgate, if we played like that in the next tournament, when all of these players are a little bit older, so it's still a very young squad, I feel he probably gets Take the best out of them off the table then. Words, if it is true, and Tuchel and Pochettino Jose. are both saying, interview us for the job, are they good enough managers and do you believe in them enough that if Southgate is happy to stay, you're prepared to say, we've actually seen enough and we're going to go to someone who's uh, proven their worth a bit more? I think you look at Tuchel and you see a guy that took over in, what, January and won the Champions League in six months. I think you see a guy that got you to every major domestic final eight in 12 months. Like, that's an incredible track record of getting a team that isn't the best team in the league to all of those finals and then the Champions League final and then winning it against the best team in our league. If you plunked him straight into this England team, I think he gets a result. I think he's got... He's a very good cup manager, yeah. which translates pretty well into tournament manager. I think that would... Like, league form, whatever. Whatever you want to say about his league form. But you put Thomas Tuchel in charge of a team in a cup and yes. he got us to all of the finals every time. Winning them, different, different situation. But I think when you're playing better teams consistently and losing if pens, Tuchel joins is Tuchel important. joining because he wants the England job or because there isn't currently a better job out there um bit both maybe I think probably the latter I think it puts him in a great pedestal within England to network and to be there for when a big role comes up I think He's edging probably for the Newcastle. Don't think that's going anytime soon. They what? want a big. Not anytime. Not anytime soon. But if he goes and manages England and he stays in England for that, and then two years down the line, when Eddie Howe takes him as far as he inevitably will, and then they want a big name manager for big name players. If I ask you the the, the hardest of hard Brexit questions, <laughs> should you have an England manager that isn't English? The oh. data shows it doesn't typically work for any national team, by the way. National teams have I had think... greater successes with managers of their own nationalities. Now, that may be because the best managers are French, Spanish, German, Brazilian. Yeah, I was going to say that's part Great. of it, isn't it? It's going to yeah. be difficult for some of our fans traveling abroad with some of the uh, yeah. songs we sing if we get a German manager. Yeah, too cool. Yeah, maybe that's a reason enough <laughs> to stay away. I, uh, I don't know, TK. If w- would you give Southgate his P forty five tomorrow if Tuchel said I'm ready to sign on the dotted line? And same question for Pochettino. In theory, at least you should go. Well, yeah, because that's they're just obviously better managers. Um, but the reasons why they would be taking the job, I would, I would have serious reservations over. I don't think either of them want a national team job certainly not the England one you know if their own countries came up to it maybe they might say I've got to take this chance while I've got it 
I would. Do you not think the noise has been there enough, even pre-tournament here, that there's something in it? For what? For Tuchel? Pochettino's Poch. the one for me, and that it it seems like yeah, get the punditry and stuff charming us. Um, yeah, maybe I would just, especially with those those two in particular, and somebody else has been like, I think they are club managers who like that time sort of work with the team and I think international management certainly this stage of their careers I just can't see how it would suit them um, and I do think the point being made that if we want to win the next tournament I think whoever we were to get in as a new manager would view this next tournament as a we'll see where I'm at and then I'll try and win the 2026 World Cup and I think we're probably all on the same page and going no we want to win this next Euros right I'm not saying they wouldn't yeah. want to but I think the, the excuse is already sort of baked in for them which we don't really need whereas at least with Southgate you know he's on so he's on the trial. It's like, look, you've got to, you've got to win the next one. I have a damn good reason why you don't. Um, yeah, I think the thing about the I foreign manager, saw, way, I do, it's an interesting yeah. thing. People our, our age probably have a very different perspective on this than a lot of other people. Whereby the first thing a manager is likely we all remember is going to be Sven. So from the jump, yeah. we've had a foreign manager. Is the first thing that we knew. We kind of went back and forth with uh, various managers since then. So. And then we remember Capello. So Capello did a lot of that work. Yeah. But then obviously people like Steve McLaren and your boy Roy did a good job of making us question English once as well. I told you that was on. I do think there's something with a lot of these managers and why there may be more of an interest is there was this summer where we thought the United job, possibly the Spurs job, the Barcelona job, the Madrid job, so many of these top jobs, Newcastle, were going to be open across the last two seasons. And you kind of assumed I'll get one of them. And if you're still out of a job now, then maybe you do start to be uh, casting in it elsewhere. I think Spurs are in the best possible position if Conte decides to leave them. One, because they can progress past the halfway line again. And two, you're going to have a summer in which Tuchel, Pochettino and Luis Enrique at bare minimum are all available. Hmm. So maybe you look at Luis Enrique entering the fold and you think my chances have gone down again because some club or country is going to give Pochettino a job soon and people are going to act surprised when they play some reasonably nice football and they win some games because his stock has reached a point at which I can't believe when you consider where it was at one point. And maybe we look and they're prepared to give someone the job and they think they're doing it just to try and win in 2024 and the 2026 one they assess afterwards. I don't know. Um, For the reasons about Pochettino's stock, I do wonder if he can't afford to risk taking the England job as well, though, because the whole thing with him has been it's kind of always the bridesmaid, never the bride. Well, if you come in and do a same job as Gareth Southgate or worse, then where does that leave you? Yes, yeah, a fair point. Mm. I think it's a risky job to take in his part. That's that. That I think that's the risk versus reward, isn't it? I think you've nailed the nail on the head that they're both those two managers. They no. don't. They can't be seen to perform worse than Gareth Southgate. And the yeah. only way that you're going to yeah. be seen is perform better. There's so many variables that can stop you winning. It's it's such a because of where it, 
exactly. And then it's like a zero win some game because if you do win it, how much stock? How much does your stock go up by that it's not already at? Pochettino probably more than Tuchel's because he's won major trophies. But then if you lose or if you don't progress past mm. or at least into the yeah. final, then you're worse than Gareth Southgate. And then you're if you're struggling to get a job now or these jobs aren't coming that you thought they were, they're not going to come any easier after getting knocked out in the quarterfinal yeah. versus, I don't know, let's call it Senegal. So I, do, I think it suits Senegal. these managers and whether their agents are doing and the work what or what. Then? I think it always suits you to have your name linked to the England job but not getting it. And I think that will probably be, your name's out there, people you're reminding clubs, well, look, I have got yeah. offers, you know, even when you've got no intention of taking that job. I'm, I'm it would be you, box office, Jose, Absolutely box office. I need to see it before. That, that, <laughs> see 11 white shirts and 18 yards. Luke Shaw's going, you're kidding me. You're, at, you're kidding me. <laughs> well, just to close us out here, just a quick game like we usually play. I'll fire some names at you and you tell me if they make the England squad for 2026. Um, if you look down the list, you can look at Nick Pope, Connor Cody, won't be in the squad. They'll be too old. Eric Dyer, hopefully um, the next manager hasn't suffered a brain hemorrhage before selecting him. Um, Kieran, McGu- uh, Kieran Trippier will be 36 Come the next World Cup. Same for Carl Walker. Bloody hell. Jordan Henderson will also be 36. Wow. Callum Wilson, 34. Harry Kane is going to be uh, 33. And all of those, I mean, I've done no real uh, taking a date of birth. I've just calculated their age four years from now. So some may be slightly older or younger, Just, mm. but there's going to be a lot of vacancies. A couple of the names here. Jacob Ramsey. Yes. Would the Euros be too soon for him? I think he would have to have a really, really good season. I don't think, yeah, I think it might be a bit soon. Because we're going back to 23 for the next tournament, I assume. Yeah, summer, isn't it? So I think Ramsey. No, summer 24, sorry. Yeah, I think Ramsey can at least do what Conor Gallagher can do. And he has more tech, but I, I love Jacob Ramsey. Um, the Emil Smith Show. The Croydon De Bruyne. <laughs> Kevin De Croydon. Uh, yeah. If we carry on playing this system, if you're saying, I know we're No, um, this is for 2026. You've got to think okay. about the system. I reframed it just to ask oh, right. if it was too soon for... Yeah. Then, I yeah, think it's going to be interesting to see where he plays year, moving yeah. forward. Um I think the long-term future for him That's is being point, seen as like an interior eight in our system. So essentially, I think he'd be asked to do not necessarily what Xhaka does, but what Martin Odegaard can do. Um, but it'd be interesting because he has been very mm-hmm. effective. And I think if you were to break down the kind of tens or something, Foden, you would say, is a creator. And I think... He's very much a finisher, isn't he, Smith Rowe? You just get him in and around the area and he's just got the Midas touch. So we'll, we'll see what happens for him. Interesting one. Seven appearances already this season. Cole Palmer. Yeah, for the World Cup, you think if he does start breaking into that City team, 
we would end up playing him. He's played almost exclusively in the 10 for City. Yeah, that's it, isn't it? It's, is it at club level, is it going to be a bit of a problem with him and Foden? Is Foden going to be trying to play there in more side? And then, mm, that's a difficult one. I'm, I'll say no. Marcus Edwards? How old is he? I don't know how old he'll be. I think he's early 20s at mm. this point. We lack options on the right is maybe part of it. Like we're basically repurposing players from the left to play on the right. Um, he's been linked with Spurs again, so game time would be a big one. That's one. That's a difficult one, isn't it? Where you've, we've got, you know, I know people are doing the thing of how young our players are and how they'll be in their peak come that time. But that does also mean it's going to be hard for someone like him to get in that squad, I think. Yeah. Uh, Tammy Abraham. Oh. Um, fuck. I think he'd have to go on a very, very good run. I think he was close, but no cigar this time around because last season he did really well. Yeah, you want to talk about timing. If he, imagine if it had been the summer, he'd have been nailed on, wouldn't he? Old yeah. Is Harry Kane going to be our starting man in 2026? Yeah. That is, I do think that's the big next question for England is if he starts to decline and we don't have an obvious next guy, where do we find ourselves? Is it going to be in Leeds with Joe Gellhart? <laughs> Fly me. Probably not. <laughs> <laughs> a lot's going to be determined by whether they stay up. Um, mm. I can tell you. He is, I think, the second highest potential striker on uh, Football Manager 23. So they often get him right. Yeah, they often um, get him wrong as well. We're young players. Freddie Adu did an interview last I week. I did see, yeah. Where he said his mentions are almost exclusively English fans, just telling him how many goals he scored for them on Football Manager. Yeah, he, he was kind of saying like, yeah, it's great. I remember thinking that must have been... I would like to see the interview rather than just read it. I bet there was a real resentful tone to that. So... No, no, I, I watched the interview and he said... In your mind, you must be going, oh, you're constantly reminded of what you could have been. How fantastic. Yeah, he said, some, the, the guy says to him, like, you scored 70 goals for me in a season. And he's like, yeah, it would have been nice if that was uh, how it really went. <laughs> um, it says a lot about, Reece by the way, about Tammy, that I could see between now and next World Cup, him having like a spell where he's the guy and then the next two years where he's terrible again. It's, it's an awful lot. <laughs> Reese James, we assume, will be that guy. <laughs> yes. um, Levi Colwell. We need that left centre back. I mean, we do. I, he answers a lot of questions if he carries on playing well. The people that were got at many minutes at Brighton, the Brighton game against us in the League Cup said he was beyond a standout. Nice. So the point, we, so we were linked with him before we went to Brighton, nice. um, oh. and then it was well, Chelsea aren't going to sell him to us, obviously, unless we just get in there early with Todd, and he just doesn't really understand. Well, that'd um, be great because obviously, th- obviously, Shalabar will have the other spot mm. tied up. Obviously, well, yeah, he's the he was the next. I didn't even give him a bullet point, but <laughs> he, I was going to ask him at the end of this point. Colwell seems to be the one where the people that <laughs> I would trust on Twitter and uh, the journalists tell me he is he is that guy, Chelsea at the last minute seemed to change that deal to be, you can have him on loan and we'll talk at the end of it. I, I find it so strange that there was even, because 
we know how good he is. I've been watching him in the youth setup for years. And the whole of Chelsea football Twitter knew as well, which is the one time I could say we actually united. He is as good as everyone says he is. And I like that you're still shocked why by this we stuff. Were even That's contemplating nice. Yeah, well, I mean, the next name on my list was Mark Gurhey. Yeah. But Colwell's been better than Gurley. Gurley's got a little bit more on the team, hasn't he? He's been doing it a little bit more. And he's rated... (laughs) He's rated more highly, Colwell, than Gurley. I'm not happy about losing him. It sounds awful. Gurley will probably have to get a move to a better team. That's where I think Big Club Bias does come in. I think he would have to get a move again. Yeah, yeah, it's possible, isn't it? I think I think he probably would. Palace, I don't, Palace make I mean, you pay. Yeah, within that time. Within- so unless his keep, I mean, his contract will probably run out before yeah, then. So it's whether he does that. TK, um, how much faith do you have in Harvey Elliott? Oh, it's a good question. It just he he needs to. We need to know what position he's going to be, doesn't he? He has to get that nailed down first, yeah, and then. I think in an ideal world for him, I think I've said it before, I think he would be a 10. But again, we don't really do that. Um, and a lot of teams don't. So it's it's going to be interesting to see what we do. I think we're going to have a situation where it's the opposite of what we used to have, where we used to say we don't have these small technical midfielders and we need more of them. I think we're going to have quite a few. I know that's slightly different, but you can have a situation where him, Smith Rowe, Foden, Cole Palmer, you can have a list of players who are kind of somewhat positionless and really, really good. But also, we've got to get him into a team and an England team that is typically fairly structured. Um, and I wonder how might, that's going to work. You might genuinely have to put Cody back in the squad to offset having a prick like that <laughs> in the group as well, because Jesus Christ. Um, Jack, we heard a lot when he was at Villa. I'm going to butcher his name here, but Carney Chukwemenica. He, in this few appearances I've seen him play for Chelsea, looks like just about everything we could do with in our midfield. Big, strong, technical. He looks a bit, yeah, he looks a bit Chiuamenary, if that makes any sense. Like, where... Chiuamenary, I thought you were butchering his name. He does look to shoot... (laughs) I got you. I got you. you would, yeah, as in Chiumeni. Yeah. <laughs> I tried to make Chiumeni an adjective. Yeah? Yeah? It, it, I think exactly he can take off. That, yeah. don't, don't sell yourself short. Really badly failed at that, but there we go. <laughs> yeah. I've, yeah, we'll try it. We'll, we'll try it. But I think that's the role that I foresee him playing in the future. I think you're right. That's probably one of the one things that we don't, we seem to lack now is just the big enforcer that is good with the ball at his feet. He's good with dribbling the ball as well, which um, is, again, something that we kind of do Declan Rice down for not being the best at. He's got he looks good more control, of that good like range six, of pass, eight hybrid, and he's strong. He's only 18. He's, he's been, not going to replace Declan Rice. Yeah, he's been bossing... The, no, the minutes that he has been getting for Chelsea, he has... Bossed the midfield. You paid twenty million for him when his contract expired the summer after. Yeah. So you clearly saw something in him. Um, uh, exactly. So yeah, I think Ivan Tony. Uh, we'll we'll see what his, these charges are. Um, maybe he gets a four year ban. <laughs> <laughs> Tomori, I guess the new manager 
<laughs> would bring him back into the fold to have a look if that is the case. I imagine Southgate isn't finished with him. There's a couple, I think. Cody may not get any more caps moving forward and maybe we do a bit of a refresh there and and the likes of those. And look, Nick Pope going to be out this squad. Does this just open up? Dean Henderson, TK, is he coming back into the fold? If you want to talk about bringing pricks into the squad, <laughs> I don't know how many nice fellas we're going to have to call up for that man. Probably well, a lovely go. fellow um, just does some bad <laughs> interviews, but... <laughs> yeah. Um, well, I think we've been about as positive as we can be in the circumstances. As I said, next Monday, Spitballing Pod Christmas special. The World Cup will each have our team in a tournament. The highest stock rises and falls, and all of these things. So be sure to tune in then. Movie Madness Christmas special at the end of this week. Keep an eye out for that and everything else on our Twitter and website, spitballingpod.com. Thank you for listening. We'll be back. Adios.